Seems like there were so many other things to talk about tonight. There were We talked about fucking Elise Stefanik the entire time. You talked about Elise Stefanik. You yelled. Cast Iron Brains, a podcast that has deferred its salary to the years beyond its ability to perform for years now. And we don't hear anybody talking about how unselfish and team-oriented we are. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori is here too. You doing that, Lord? Is my microphone on? Plugged in? <laughs> Lori's plugged in. Am Tonight I? is la, la, la. December the 11th. It's a Monday, 2023. Happy birthday to brother of the pod, Jesse. Oh, look at that. Another birthday. Je- Jesse turned 22 years old today. Uh, quite a good bit younger than than we are here by like a whole lifetime almost 22 though is out of the first 25 birthdays 22 is a bottom five birthday and i don't think there's a lot of arguing <laughs> about that uh, we could discuss that further if you want or you could just leave it there 20 I think, is the worst i think it's all pretty clear but 22 the is worst a birthday is a bottom five birthday out of one through 25 yes so like, I, like I mean, you could graduate at 22 from college. I mean, a lot of people will dip Who into the fuck does that? What are you talking about? <laughs> you could come in a little early, but you know, like 20, you know, you come in at like 17, 18 and graduate at 22. God, I you, used to really want to be 22 when I was young. Like when I was young, 22 Yeah, but was then like you the got age. to 22 and you found out it sucked mostly. And I fucking met you. <laughs> uh, we well established, I'm sad to say, or you are apparently. Uh, by 22. Anyway, uh, I think it's pretty clear 22 is a suck-ass birthday. But uh, happy birthday, Jesse, nevertheless. I got Jesse working on doing logo work for me for the, the morning press. If Eventually, this has not happened yet, but part of the, the push is going to be uh, a new piece of logo work. Jesse, the, the NFT artist. Are we paying Jesse? I don't know. I'll see how it turns out. If it's any good, I'll give him some money. Uh, Jesse, if you're listening... Talk to me about it. <laughs> and if it's excuse if me, it's, I've got gambling proceeds that I'm permitted to spend however I see fit. Thank you very much. So th- there there exists a possibility where it's bad enough for you to still use but not pay him. Yeah. Um. No, I think if I use it, I will feel like I need to fork over some dollars for it. If I don't use it. You know, you should respect the time and effort put in by artists in various ways. I mean, I'll promise to make a donation to some yeah. fucking bullshit cause or something if I don't end up using it. Hanging out with Jesse at the rehearsal dinner post whatever, hanging out at the bar, had a drink and it was empty. And the bartender was like, hey, do you want another one? And Jesse looked at it and was sort of like, uh, shouldn't really, you know, like running the numbers in his head. And Chris Howard was like, ah, I got it. And he was like, really? 
And Chris goes, you know how much money I make? (laughs) And then went on to talk about how he was just like everyone else. It was good. Speaking of uh, which, I was at my daughter's ballet studio today. This is, by the way, why I can't tell people about this podcast. Why? Because we're about to talk shit about literally all the people I know. No, it's fine. Okay. I have no, I'm not going to talk shit. It's just uh, the way that Doubtful. the other half, the way that the other half lives uh, is different than the way that uh, I do. And I, uh, again, I never offer judgments. I, w- I would never do such a thing of the way that the other half lives. But uh, sitting in the ballet studio and listening to these people talk about their lives and what they do with their time and uh, the, the way they are sort of over leveraged in terms of their ability to have time to do stuff in the world, but only because of the choices that they have made to fill their lives with so much stuff all of the time. Like there's a, so Katie was in the Nutcracker, as we discussed. I, I opted not to attend this year, as is my right. And that was great, right? She was there all day long. It was a back-to-back performance in the matinee and then in the evening show as well. She had rehearsal for that every Saturday for, what, 12 weeks or something leading up to it? 10 weeks, something like that. And so it was busy, right? And that's on top of she's already got swimming. She's already doing uh, Girls on the Run program. She's already doing regular ballet classes on top of that. So it's ballet two, three times a week. Plenty of other activities. Uh, This other woman at this ballet studio was talking about the fact that her daughter, who's uh, younger, she's like four years old or five years old, doesn't just do ballet at this ballet studio, also does ballet at another ballet studio in town and therefore performed in that ballet studio's version of the Nutcracker as well, which was the week after the one that we had just done. So this four or five-year-old girl did a 12-hour day one weekend for the Nutcracker, and then the very next weekend had to do three performances of the Nutcracker for an entirely different ballet studio. Like, what is going on in your life that you need to fill your daughter's life with this much activity? Why is that at all? Like, this is the chances that this person is some sort of a, a, a prodigy of the, right. of the of dancing are, are none, right? This is just a normal. Is it none, uh, or is that your uh, amateur oh, assessment? Oh, it's very close to none. Okay, right. so this is they're not on a professional ballerina track. Like, oh, we need to get those hours. Probably in. not. Okay, just probably not. Right, and I this isn't a town full of. This isn't New York or something. Like, people aren't thinking this is a talented child in right. arts. It's just not – that's not the – it's it's go to college, you know? Right. But it's weird then to occupy so much time on the same activity. I mean, fill the – Well, she's four. Right, but you think they would diversify somehow? Like, okay, we're going to do this little ballerina thing and then we'll also do this other thing. Instead of doing I'm the same sure thing. that that's the other thing is that I guarantee you there are 11 other activities in this little girl's week. I mean, this is the same. This is a woman who then went on to have a conversation 
with the other moms in the room about like what they had done over Thanksgiving week. And one of them was in Copenhagen for the week. And then uh, what was the plan for, for Christmas? And it's like a four city list, including a week in Vermont and they're all over the place and they're this and they're that. And they're talking about how so in like the, the sun has 47 activities this week and the, the kid has this and that and that lacrosse right. and squash lacrosse. They sound rich. Wow. Yes. 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 These people are unreasonably wealthy. Uh, but what they do with that wealth is they fill every waking moment of their lives with fucking crazy bullshit activities right. as though that somehow is the thing that you're supposed to be doing. And like my kids are busy. My kids stay relatively busy throughout. Like when you take the whole picture of the year all at once, it can be like, wow, man, we had a lot of shit going on. Uh, in in the spring, we might have baseball like four, five, six, yeah. seven days a week at a stretch. Like it gets kind of out of hand. But that's like I like, make sure we don't do winter sports because it fuck, it's too much. Like huh. just don't do anything in winter. It's fine. I'm I'm convinced that this is a uh, because this, this is these are people who are wealthy. These are people who like dad works fucking 60 hours a week in finance or something and travels two weeks out every month or something like that, right? To like Japan. So these are these are busy wealthy people who then choose to take the fruits of that labor and like and 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 overstuff their lives to such a degree that like mom's entire job is fucking running the spreadsheets which of works the, of because the mom probably has a business degree from Yale as well. That's how she met the husband. Right. And to that point, do you think – I mean I'm trying to think what is the long-term strategy if there is one. Is it like just get the children exposed to so many different activities and also to different peoples of similar lifestyles and, and maybe that will come to something in the future or like are they not it's thinking It's because they ahead? don't know any different. It's because that's how they were raised okay. and you don't get And they're successful. paying fucking $22,000 a year to send their yeah, kids to, to fifth grade. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're paying for the schools that will get them the connections. Don't worry about that. Okay. It's the – in order – I said this to Bob earlier. In order to be successful – you have to do better than everybody. Right. And you don't do better than everybody by only doing a little bit. Right. You have to do everything. Or you're not competing. Like, Except that this is just – they're just sticking themselves on the fucking treadmill for the sake of sticking themselves on the treadmill. Yes. There's not a any actual value that's being added No, here. but they don't know any different. Yeah. This is also, why I can't tell people about the podcast because then they give me $300 to do some hair. So, like, it's all right. At, at this current pace, uh, by the time they get to filling out their applications for colleges, they're not going to put in – this is not going to make the cut, right? I mean, they're, they're, they will have done so many more activities. Yeah, that but they're not they will put have in, gotten uh, used to overachieving and overachieving and overachieving. Right. Wow. Yeah, and they'll have gotten nothing but A's all the way through high school so that they can go to Yale and then be handed nothing but A's because that's just what they're supposed to get. There was that thing. A thing came out this week. Uh, I think it was Yale, and I'd have to go back and, and find the article. I don't have it handy right now. But since the pandemic, something like – I'm going to step on myself here with the actual information because I spoke for uh, a few seconds here without the – 
numbers in front of me. So I just want to make clear that the question of grade inflation is a conversation that's been going on at elite universities for quite some time now, but it's only gotten worse in the last little while that uh, before the pandemic, a Yale report found that 62% of all Yale grades are A or A minus. And this is back in like 2012 or 2013 or so. And then in the before the pandemic, uh, that that had risen even more. I think at 2019 time, we were looking at nearly 70% of grades at Yale were A or A minus. And then during the pandemic and since then, that number has, has once again gone up to just over 80% or so of those grades. Those are the actual numbers. We'll get back to the conversation now. The whole point of a grade distribution is that you reward superior work and you judge that work against the other work in the class. Like a C is supposed to be average work, right? right? And then you don't get the same number of A's as you get failing grades. It doesn't have to be quite that cutthroat, right? But we tend to reward good work with good grades and then you punish the not as good work with worse grades. It is now, in the last couple of years, some new thing just came out. It was in excess of 80% of the grades have been A's for the last couple of years. And, like, uh, I don't know what that means. I'm sure that there are obnoxious... college is bullshit. There are obnoxious (laughs) blowhards who can make a whole big meal out of just that one particular uh, statistic. I'm I'm not that guy, obviously. If you've been listening to me for the last many hundreds of hours, you know I'm anything but an obnoxious blowhard. But it means something, right? Like there's there's something there that it can't possibly be the case that all these fucking dopes are just doing that much better at the work that they're all so deserving of of the uh, of the higher grades. What was that South Park episode where the bar was at the bottom of the ocean? The James Cameron one? Yeah. Yeah. You you know, uh, a friend of mine was, uh, I think it was Columbia or one of these schools where they're explaining to me the logic behind this scheme with the grades. Like like he told me that, uh, or let's say my hypothetical friend, uh, he told me that, uh, that, that'll be a good cover. Uh, He told me that (laughs) the schools, it's in their best interest to maintain a high number of a's and b's like no one's going to get basically you have to justify giving someone a c at that school so but this was in particular this was a a hypothetical individual who was going to get a postgraduate degree correct right right and so i wonder if that's different my theory there is that that is literally nothing but a profit center right right? like well and post always been that way Right. right, you're not paying for a postgraduate degree in order to walk away with a bunch of D's or an yeah. F. Like you, that's different. That's been a different kind right, of but bullshit. I, I for wonder. Long. I wonder if some, probably some MBA asshole, somebody was like, you know, this scam works well for graduate school. Why don't we implement it for undergrad as well? Because like right. we can raise our profile by saying like, if you give us money, we'll guarantee your kid get your dumb dumb kid gets an A at worst a B, right? Like and so maybe in by the end of the decade we'll look back and this scam will have proved very successful for these schools, right? Like maybe it's like a business decision only. Like it's not like it's not like maybe. kids have gotten smarter all of a sudden since the pandemic, no. right? So it's got to oh, no, be it's some the, other it's, it's no, the literal dinner. it's the literal opposite. If you <laughs> <laughs> listeners of the morning press will know of a, have heard of a study that came out 
uh, from some international group. Is, you know, it's funny, and this is uh, this is a, a meta aside here. Because of the churn with which I'm I'm plowing through these morning press stories, yeah. I'm I'm reading them, I'm writing about them, I speak them into the microphone, and then the details are gone relative to the way that it used to be, where I I felt confident in the amount of reading that I was doing, that details that were interesting were sticking, I'm now having to go back. Because what you're supposed to, you're supposed to be able to, when you process something and write it down and then repeat it to yourself two or three times, it's supposed to help make it stick. But what I'm noticing is that as I cast back in my mind for stories that I've uh, talked about on the morning press in the last couple of weeks of doing the show... The details often aren't there in the way that I have uh, reliably expected them to be there in the past when I'm just doing my normal reading. I don't know. I don't know what that is. That's, is it uh, age it's... or just the, the, the way you're – No, because this is a brand new feature. This is something that I've only just noticed in the last few weeks of, of doing this You've thing. You've been older in the last few weeks right. than yeah, you maybe, were you know, the, in the, the previous fall ones. Off a cliff. <laughs> All right. My, you're right. No, nope, yep, it's age. Moving on. <laughs> My uh, my retention of information has been terrible since I was an infant. Uh, so th- it's always been like that. I'll just absorb information, say it, and then just forget it. But like I was never able to retain the information. Uh, that's why I would have to write it down somewhere and and refer to to that. Uh, right. But maybe you're just getting that now. You know. Maybe. Anyway, there's a there's a a thing that came out. Some international group that looks at attempts to compare the academic achievement of students uh, in major industrial countries around the world. And the United States has not done great. But the the bigger headline to come out of this story is that since 2003, uh, the kids have gotten dumber. Uh, uh, We're measuring against when this first started in 2003, scores have gone down, and then even more dramatically so since the last time this was measured, measured I think four or five years ago, they're supposed to do it every three years. And then because of the pandemic, they skipped a couple of years, but they've now done the first post pandemic measurement and uh, 15 year olds, which is the group that they measure are doing worse now than they were dramatically. So uh, just a few years ago, particular field, like in math and like Uh, particularly worse in math in the United States, our, our reading and science skills sort of have plateaued uh, relative to four years ago, but our math scores took a dive. Uh, The good news is the rest of the world took a dive in reading and science. And so the United States, despite getting dumber, objectively, uh, rose in the global rankings. What is that? Addition by subtraction? Yes, precisely that. They don't yes. uh, offer any explanation Math. for that. Like, why? I mean, are people really getting dumber, or are is is it possible that the technology is there? So, like, why do I need to retain this information? I can just press some buttons, and the robot will tell me. So, like, I don't need to rely on the old way of doing things. Like, is it, I mean, buddy Augie's whole thing. I mean, I'm making that up. I don't know if they they can glean any information and say, okay, this is why. Right, because are. it's a it's a skills assessment. It's not an intelligence test, right? right? So they're trying to figure out what they've learned in school rather than uh, necessarily what the – right, it's not an IQ test, right. uh, which probably wouldn't work across cultures uh, in any event without a great deal of, of uh, effort. But, yeah, I don't know. At, you're pointing at a, a much more optimistic – Although, uh, to me, bleaker version of a future where we're just permitted to get dumber and dumber because the no. 
the bots and the algorithms are getting smarter and smarter? Well, that's what Augie used to say about, like, it's what you do with your brain that matters. Right. If you don't need, like, if I don't need to remember the name of the guy, then my brain can do other stuff. Having, like, I already found out the name of the guy. Now I can do something with that. Same thing with uh, like phone numbers. And stuff. People would, by necessity, have to remember like your best friend's numbers and your, fa- you know, like uh, like ten numbers you would have to know because of, unless they're just writing it down. And now you delegate it to the robot, and maybe the kids are doing the same. They're delegating this ah oh, this pointless task to the robot, and they're thinking of like dance moves for TikTok. All right, or to other bring the uh, a little bit of moroseness back into the conversation, I mean, you guys are just fine to to give our brains to mush because the computers are going to do everything for us anyway mush. Uh, it certainly points to a failure then of the educational system to be able to adapt to the changing needs of humanity if we are still measuring things and attempting to teach things that are no longer relevant to uh, our future or to the way that our brains have adapted to the information age then what the fuck are we doing if we don't, if if we're still right. measuring the wrong things, and we're now we're teaching the wrong things as well. I feel like that's probably content. That's probably been true since we've been testing for it. Right, and also the the maybe the test is outdated. Like the way that the test is done, the past is outdated. Right? So like they could like come up with a way to like use this technology you have to answer questions, or you know, we want a better a, a way to to gauge how smart you are or maybe your brain has turned to mush like you're suggesting like is that it or like if we give you the tools that you're already using in this current world can you give us something to prove that you're good at it i don't know why you guys can't just accept that the kids are getting dumber all of the evidence is right before us but because i know that the use of the fucking smartphones no. and the fact of wikipedia has made me a dumber person right the but, fact that i can access all of the information in the world at all times means my brain doesn't have to work as hard to hold on to things and i don't know what it's freed me up to otherwise do and i don't see how that's necessarily a good thing i don't i don't i don't know how when i look at i mean this is now getting into a broader oh uh, surprise surprise blowhardy sort of conversation but uh, when I look at the kids on these uh, on the sports teams that uh, my that I've been coaching and that my child has been on for the last few years, and I watch the way these kids react to and behave in the face of failure, it suggests to me that they have not often encountered failure before they they came onto the sports field. They are accustomed to having things be a particular kind of way. That particular kind of way is easy. That anytime they have a question, they can figure out the exact right answer according to whatever the fucking computer or the phone or the Alexa says to them. But didn't they say that about exactly us? Yeah, I mean, they say it every time a new piece of technology is invented, right? That the yeah. the, invention, the invention of the library is going to mean that we, we're not going to need uh, people to know things anymore because all of the information is going to be stored in the library. And so the the human brain's capacity for storing vast amounts of information 
will be reduced. Now, the good news is what that did is that allowed us, it allowed us to build upon everything that came before, right? Without the ability to write things down and fill books with information and then put all those books in one uh, 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 grand repository uh, that would, was accessible to a great uh, number of people, that then allowed uh, for human flourishing in a way that did not come before. But fundamentally, it didn't change the way that we interacted with these bits of information. It still required uh, sort of creativity and building upon that. Like, I don't know. I, I don't. I, maybe we're just maybe I'm worried about something that has, in fact, been solved by humans many, many it's, times uh, through many generations I before. I feel like it's this old thing where if you look at tests, I mean, this is going to sound stupid because I'm referring to something and I'm bad at doing that. But like the intelligence tests of the past of like our parents, like the to pass the first grade test was like way easier than that test is now. Uh, I don't Do you know, know what I'm referring to? No, I I remember the reading about the opposite, like thinking about what fifth graders were required to know 50 years ago compared to what fifth graders are required to know now. And it's like distressing how much dumber the fifth grade oh. curriculum is these days. American, there's another headline that I saw earlier this year. American IQs rose 30 points in the last century. Now they may be falling. I mean, there are a whole piles of people who complain about even the notion of being able to test for intelligence in that way. But if you assume a certain correct ability to have done it 100 years ago, and then you see that we're still doing the same thing now, but now the scores are pointing lower, maybe we really are getting dumber. Yeah, that's and interesting. to some extent, it makes sense. Life gets dramatically easier. We went from having to uh, struggle and only the smartest, hardiest, most hardcore, uh, arguably sometimes the most violent people were able to stick around long enough in order to procreate and have children. And those were the sorts of traits that were passed along. Now, uh, there are 8 billion people on the planet, according to something I saw a couple weeks ago, which is a whole lot of people. And it's way easier now than ever before in human history uh, to flourish in that way. And maybe that means that uh, in, a, in a world that is less violently naturally selective than it has been, it's not going to select for uh, the best and the brightest. Uh, you know, nature is no longer sending its best and brightest. There's uh, more diversity in the levels of intelligence today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, you know, with the with the new technology, you know, with the VR headsets and whatnot, maybe they should like focus more like on emotional, like resiliency and intelligence. You were talking about earlier about kids can't take losing. I mean, there's got, you know, if the robots are figuring out how to add the math, like why, aren't, why not use the technology to get people to be a little bit more emotionally uh, sound? You can teach the robots how to feel. Yeah, <laughs> but the kids also though, who are kind of flailing about. I think about. we've spent much of the last two couple of generations uh, trying to build up the emotional intelligence of our youths, and it has resulted uh, in, in disastrous ways. Our uh, our commitment to the primacy of the individual above all else, to the the identity of the individual, has not exactly done great things for uh, the current situation. And one need look no further than the, the colleges these days and those who lead them for proof of that. <laughs> right, right. But maybe uh, a changing of the, 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 
the language call it emotional fitness, like physical fitness. You know, you need to be tough. No, because that just you're gonna get into the ableism. Oh, just yeah. Leave True. it. Abe, this week or last week rather, we are now a full, almost a full week removed from when the presidents of uh, the University of Pennsylvania, MIT, and Harvard. Uh, pop quiz hotshot. Only two out of those three are Ivy League schools. Uh, which one is not? MIT. I wasn't asking you, lady. Yeah. MIT is not an Ivy League school. Some people were surprised somehow still to find out that the University of Pennsylvania is an Ivy, uh, despite the fact that Donald Trump has been constantly bragging about his Ivy League <laughs> pedigree. And we all know that he went to Penn. The Wharton Business School, right? Yeah, the Wharton Business School. Very good. The presidents were there on Capitol Hill of those three universities to testify before a U.S. House Committee on Education. And I'll tell you what, I'm just going to play a clip, three-minute clip featuring Elise Stefaniak of uh, New York grilling the three uh, lady bosses from those three universities. At MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment, yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated of, as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes speech or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of antisemitism? 
I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Elise Stefanik is a, is a very dumb person. Is this and th Elise Stefanik very clearly got the better of the presidents of MIT, Penn, and Harvard, not because she's right about anything, because she's not right about anything, but because they were completely ill-prepared to answer the single most obvious question that they were going to be asked. And it is, uh, if for no other reason than the three of them, should be humiliated out of their what jobs. What is it that she wanted them to say? Yes to the hypothetical question that she gave. It is remarkable how badly those three people handled that because the question, I mean, you're, you're, you're responding to a question, a hypothetical, you're accepting the hypothetical, and you're still giving this mealy-mouthed answer. Like, I mean, I'm wondering if they were trying to like, oh, She's setting something up, right? So I'm going to get ahead of the follow-up question. She's going to say yes or no on this, box me into a yes, and then the follow-up question is like, well, these these are examples of calls for genocide. Why aren't you doing A, B, and C? So to get ahead of that, they're almost like they're trying to play chess when the situation just calls for a checker. Just answer the hypothetical question. Well, but— Make a meal. It's not even it. checkers. So, so uh, to be clear, this is never, ever is this a good situation to find yourself in, right? And arguably right. one that shouldn't exist, right? right? Like Congress should not be doing this grandstanding bullshit where they call private citizens. Uh, and granted, yes, uh, all of these institutes of higher learning receive untold uh, uh, piles of federal money, and therefore they are accountable in some way to uh, the, the people's house. Yes, fine. Uh, but at the same time, this is a bullshit arrangement where con con you always – my sympathies are always with the people not on the dais, right? My sympathies are even, – even when they're bad people that I don't care for, my sympathy is g much more likely going – Going to be with the witness rather than with the grandstanding asshole politician uh, up on the stage. What's right? wrong with up on, the, up on... the people's house bringing in people uh, on issues of a matter of public interest, right? Like to talk through something, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that in particular. I mean, the grandstanding, yes, but like, hey, this is an issue. When was the last time something of, of uh, uh, meaningful was accomplished through one of these hearings really in, this, in this way? It's just not the way that the system is set up. Like, I, I agree with you. People should be called to account before the people's house uh, in terms of uh, testifying in various things, and it is a useful exercise in theory. Right. I just don't – I don't remember when it's ever actually but, been done in a way that wasn't uh, completely grandstanding there one, nonsense. There is one example I can think of is uh, when uh, that Mr. Rogers guy went to Congress to, to, to justify the funding for his right. thing. 
uh, Alice Cooper and and Frank Zappa before Congress yeah. back in the day, right? They did a, a, a and D. Snyder doing a great job standing up for freedom of expression in the face of garbage from right. the likes of Tipper Gore. I don't know. Maybe it was easier for obnoxious uh, rock star types to uh, berate the women asking them questions in that case. Yes, Lori. I don't understand what she's asking because. Are you allowed to stand in the fucking quad and say there should be genocide is different than... Uh, to be clear, yes, you should be allowed okay. to stand in the but quad and but say there should be genocide. Okay, but that's different than saying to a person your people should be extinguished from the planet. And I think that these three people were... I mean, they should have been better prepared. I don't know. I didn't know this was happening. But, like, I don't actually understand what this politician woman was asking. Well, okay. I, like, I, which of those – one of those things is allowed and the other one isn't. And they could both be called the same thing in the way she's asking the question. The, 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 the way she posed the question actually gave them an out, right? Because the – from the river to the sea is something that people attribute to calls for genocide, right? So, like, she just said, I don't know, is calling for basically the question she asked was very clean, and they could have made a whole meal out of that. There's no situation, there's no context where anyone calling for genocide on any group or individual, although you can't call a genocide on one person, right? It's got to be a group, right? Uh, but you can say to a unless, person. Unless it's a very small country. <laughs> right. A very, a very small ethnic group that has already been quite successfully genocided. Right. But like the, the, they could have just made just a big stink. salt in the wound at that point. Yeah, they could have made a big stink about like no place for calls for genocide. The follow-up question would have been, then why aren't you doing anything about these people who are saying phrases – that people liken to calls for genocide, and then they could have done their mealy mouth thing. But at the beginning, you have to be unequivocal. You got to just answer the question as presented. You can't be trying to set up a future answer. Just answer the question. But what's the answer again? The answer is no, it's not against the code of conduct? I mean, call for genocide, you should just say there's no place for that, right? It doesn't matter what the code but of is conduct it, is. But you're allowed to just say things, right? Right, but you can't incite violence, right? I mean, you can't call for the death of a group of people. Like, I don't think that's free speech, right? Like, I, I don't know. Why not? Why not? Yeah, that's why what I'm isn't... saying. This is, you're acting like this is some very obvious thing, okay. and I just don't understand. It, to me, it is extremely To me, it is extremely obvious, and you, it doesn't have to be mealy-mouthed for the most part. It, it, if you are the... If you are a president of one of these institutions of higher learning, the position of the college, the university, should be we are entirely neutral. Now, there's a problem here, which is that the university has not revealed itself in the past uh, three years, especially since uh, uh, the George Floyd situation really uh, kicked uh, the conversation on race into high gear. They have not covered themselves in glory when it comes to... Uh, defense of the principles of freedom of expression and and speech on their campuses. Now that's not that's not particularly new. I would say it's just gotten worse in the last few years. Somebody like uh, uh, Jonathan Haidt would say this has been going on for a generation now. The, the the guy who wrote the coddling of the American mind would say that we are uh, trying to create uh, uh, safe spaces and in in so doing 
we have birthed a generation of people who don't know how to show respect for uh, notions of freedom of expression and speech. Uh, that, that they're simply not prepared for the world in that way. That they they don't know what they're about to encounter when they leave these universities, where they have been coddled in such a way uh, that they that they simply don't encounter encounter things that they disagree with. In my opinion, if the university is a should be a fully neutral platform within which professors and students are free to seek and explore and have the academic freedom to explore any position uh, that they think is worthy of exploration. Even and calling that inc- for violence? I mean, I don't understand that argument. Call, no, no, no. Calls, so I mean, genocide that is, is different. Violence, right. See, this isn't it's, so obvious. Do you see how this isn't it, actually no is so calling, obvious? But, but that's not the you, first of all, you need to, first of all, you need to establish right. that someone is calling for a genocide, right? That needs that needs but to the, be established. The question she the, was seeking an answer to was a hypothetical call to violence. Answer that hypothetical question honestly. The answer is you can't call for the death of people. Like it. Like I don't understand what's so difficult about that. Right, but you but but you can call for the dissolution of the state of Israel. Yes, I think you're fucking crazy. I think I think that you but live that's in not I genocide. think that I think that you live in La La Land. Right. Uh, but but yeah, Jews will call that a genocide. That is, right, that, that's are, a separate th- argument though. Like the hypothetical is very clean, right? Like direct call for genocide, not like what could be misconstrued as a call for genocide. You can argue that, but you can't argue the question as posed by the representative from New York, right? I mean, it's a very clear, I don't know, it's like a layup. How do you screw that up? Like, it's such an easy answer. You screwed up because you're scared to death that if you say yes, then the next word out of her mouth is going to be, yes, but they're shouting intifada now, intifada forever, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And she gets to then go on a, on a rant about how that is a, an effective call for genocide, according to the feelings right. of her and, and various Jewish groups and that she would then go on be, to cite. And we are sensitive to that point of view. Others see it differently and blah, blah, blah. But there's no... Headline. I mean, this one of the three resigned. I don't know what's going to happen to the other two because of the clean fuck up. Like, if you're answering, if you're giving a more nuanced take of like, well, some people interpret this thing to mean this thing. You can argue that because there are different ways to interpret that. But the hypothetical, I just don't understand how. What context would be okay to call for genocide? It doesn't make any sense. It's it's the most absurd re- response. College. It can be completely unacceptable to call for genocide, and still you should be permitted in some way to say, I think that the world would be a better place if this group of people simply went away forever. Now, if you want to say that that's a call for genocide, that's fine. I think that's a terrible thing to say. I can't imagine uh, ever uh, uh, backing anyone who would say that, uh, for example, all fucking Frenchmen should be eliminated from the face of the earth. I think that would be completely unacceptable. But in the fucking free marketplace of ideas, it, still would it, be it wrong. seems you, to you, me— You're saying that it would be okay—oh, I— Enough of these blacks, right? I mean, ah, too much. Like, get rid of them. Like, if you plug in anything else, it doesn't. The math shouldn't even work with the Jewish. I don't know why you need to like substitute. Part of the whole point of a law against hate speech is that it, it is contingent upon the ability of 
uh, of it to have an impact in the real world. If you're just trying to stop it because it's antisocial or because it makes people feel bad, it's going to be a failure on its face because there will always be something else that makes someone feel bad, right? Right. Like it, if if the 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 whole point is that you're trying to eliminate actual negative outcomes in the actual world, that is the point of any anything that infringes upon freedom of expression must be because it had a material impact on the on the physical world, not the feelings that somebody had about themselves, not uh, not not that it made someone uncomfortable, not that it even made you feel bad about your own personal immutable characteristics that you can't fucking change. That's not anyone's job to try to police out of the human brain, right? And and to me, uh, I take a I take an extreme position on this because I think that the platforms should be neutral in a way that they have not been for a very long time, and that's what that's what made it impossible for them to actually answer the questions in a in a sincere way, which is that they know that the platform hasn't actually been neutral for a very long time, so they feel very uncomfortable defending a principle that they don't actually hold. Right? right. They don't actually believe that the university should be a neutral platform. Platform within which uh, the the full freedom and the full range of of academic freedom is granted students and professors. They believe that uh, to some extent the thoughts of their student population should be circumscribed, should adhere to a certain code of behavior and conduct that makes everyone feel safe and comfortable. And that's why they're unable to answer the question because they don't actually believe in the underlying principles, as is evidenced by the way they've behaved since 2020 especially so i've oh maybe i've uh, understood things differently i always thought there were two separate issues right i hate this group of people is free speech you can hate any group of people you can hate an individual you have the latitude to hate calling for the death calling for genocide calling for violence towards any group is an entirely different thing that is a call to violence. That is not protected speech. Like, is that not the understanding of the difference? You can hate whomever you want. That's well and fine, right? You can. There's a lot of latitude you have there, but to call if for I the say, violence. If I say, if I say that all uh, uh, Laotians should be removed from the United States because they're poisoning our our blood supply or whatever the fuck, I can't even do racism effectively. Uh, uh, like if if I say the United States would be a better place if all Filipinos uh, were removed, right? right? That, that that we should cleanse the United States of our of all Filipinos. Right. That is a rhetorical position that I'm taking. It's not an actual call to violence. Right. It suggests perhaps that I would be okay with violence being done to whatever uh, uh, insert group here that I've chosen to to identify as the one that I don't want uh, poisoning the gene pool any longer, right. or at least on 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 our land here. Uh, but it's not actually a call but to what violence, if it was? right? I mean, so is there a difference? What if you were calling for the genocide of that group? With what power? With what ability no, you're saying, to? Hey, at least like uh, what is it? Stochastic terrorism, where you're like, I'm just saying this out there. If, hey, jump ball. If anybody wants to like kill all these people, have at it. You're calling for violence. Like, is it okay? 
to call for violence, even if you don't have like I, a, yes, a I'm not doing any. I'm not doing any violence. I have no ability to actually cause the violence to happen. Uh, arguably, the reason that it becomes unacceptable, the reason why violence would then be visited upon me by other people, is if I actually had the ability to do it. Presumably, right? Like, there's nothing that I can say that justifies the the use of violence against me unless I have the ability to actually implement the thing that I'm suggesting ought to be in the world, right? Like, you cannot, because I say I hate all blank whatever. That's different. That hating, again, th- th- there's a distinction between hating and calling for violence. I think that m- maybe I have a misunderstanding of how it works, but I always thought that was the the red line. You can hate whomever you want. You can, you know, couch it in however way. Like we need to reduce the immigration of this group by zero to zero. All of those things are within the the, the realm of free speech. But when you call for the violence, you are now on the other side of things. As part of that, it must be to affect political change in some way, right? It must have an actual effect in the world, right? And that is a that is a key distinction. So that when the students are saying from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free, there's a perfectly reasonable interpretation of that that says you're referring to the Jordan River yes. And the and the the Mediterranean Sea, right? Those are the two seas at issue here. And that if Palestine is going to be free, according to uh, the Hamas right. standard, that means that uh, Israel ceases to exist. And if Israel ce- ceases to exist, what happens to the whatever the number is eight million Jews uh, who who currently live in that part of the world? Uh, they could say we're neutral on that question, but the reality is that that probably results in uh, the deaths of of. Some some huge number of millions, or uh, because genocide is sort of a fungible term to some extent, uh, it, it is the elimination of a culture that uh, is established in a place, and it's a cultural genocide of a sort uh, uh, that, that 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 is meaningful, right? That is a that is a call to violent action that fucking matters. That's a that is a, a plausible reading of that expression from the river to the sea. But then you look at a poll that came out today. Maybe it was in the Wall Street Journal today. I'm not sure where I saw it. Uh, Some less than 40% of people actually know that it is the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, and they they believe it's either some sort of rhetorical device or the sea is the Atlantic Ocean and the river is the Nile. They have no idea. uh, I didn't know until just now. They, right, they have no idea the, the 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 physical geographical reality of the situation, and further, they don't think of it in terms of it being eliminationist rhetoric. Right, they don't think of it in terms of it being uh, anything more than a call to resistance. When they say intifada now, intifada forever, intifada here, whatever the fuck the chants are that they're doing in in Brooklyn and in Williamsburg and and in college campuses across the country, uh, they're not referring to the second intifada where thousands of Jewish people were terrorized, where millions of Jews were terrorized and thousands were killed over the course of uh, uh, four, five, six years, whatever it was. 
they believe what they're doing is uh, they're resisting uh, an occupying force, right. right? And to them, it's completely costless, right? Because they're here right. on some fucking college right. campus, and there's no actual cost to any of this. And they don't see uh, the fact that if there was a, uh, a an intifada in the way that they actually uh, – to the way that it was referred to in the second intifada, it would mean the deaths of, of hundreds of thousands of Jewish people or more, right? right? They, 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 don't, they don't understand that that is what they're doing. But there's a perfectly plausible reading of their rhetoric that says you're calling for genocide. So which is it? And who gets to decide? And the reason that it matters at all on this point is that uh, nobody gets to decide because there is no deciding. You have to wait for the action to happen before you punish it, uh, overwhelmingly so, right? Because if you're going to say that uh, kids who are chanting from the river to the sea on college campuses are calling for genocide and they all have to be tossed out of school right. because of it, I think you're, you're operating in a very weird world moving forward forward, right. right? That you've lost all uh, possibility of nuance or justice in your pursuit of making sure that everyone is safe. And that's mo- that's the most likely outcome here. That is what Stefanik ultimately is calling right. for, is for huge clampdowns on the ability of stupid fucking teenagers and 22-year-olds to express themselves on college campuses, which to me is completely unacceptable. And at the same time, I recognize that people operating in entirely good faith can interpret the things that they're saying as being calls for genocide. I believe they're wrong, but but I don't believe they're any more wrong than the idiots who are doing the chants in the first place. Right. The 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 presidents they the, the the I mean they bungled the whole thing, but one of the bungles was accepting the premise and they tied it to what was going on at their campus, right? They were basically accepting the the, the premise that the, those chants are calls for genocide. Right and and which is an absurdity. Right. They should have never. They should have never granted the thing in the first right. place. Right? right. But to some extent, I think that accepting the premise of that hypothetical is priced into the way that they see the world and the way that they've expressed themselves in the world over the course of the last few years. If you are going to say that a group of students chanting on the Harvard campus "All Lives Matter" or or carrying a sign uh, somewhere in Boston that says "All Lives Matter" is targeted harassment and bullying and unacceptable behavior on the college campus, then certainly you have to say the the same thing holds uh, next time around. And that's why they're responding to this hypothetical on Stefanik's terms. It's not just because they're stupid. It's because they don't actually believe in the underlying principles of freedom of expression that they would have to be defending themselves with if they were going to be defending themselves in a coherent way. I I think uh, the the fact that they're trying to determine what people mean by it is kind of – it's difficult. It's almost like a fruitless exercise to – Unless somebody comes out and says, oh, I meant it that way. I meant it as uh, as a call for genocide. I mean, you're not going to get students to say that. Uh, but like trying to... De- but how likely is it right. that the calls for genocide, even if they are sincere, is going to result or It doesn't matter. Incite- you can't be, you- it does matter. In terms of the law, no. it absolutely no, 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 does. No, no, no. So in terms you can't wait of, in- until yes, half yes, the and- people are getting genocide and say, you know what? That was wrong. We should go back and, and, and kick you out of school. For calling the advocacy of violence, if it is going to run afoul of the First Amendment, right. must also include the possibility that it's going to actually result in violence. It must be expected to incite or produce that sort of 
uh, of an action, which is why I can say virtually anything that I want here and be 100% assured that no one is going to be banging down my door to arrest me for the things that I said in this fucking well, podcast. But that's the thing. You're in your own house on a podcast. You're not at an institution. And it's a, and it's you a, can't necessarily say things if you're at an institution. And it's a right. group of people doing this across many different campuses in different settings. Like, there is making Jewish students feel unsafe on their campus is not good PR for Harvard or for MIT or for UPenn, but it is does not run afoul of the First Amendment. Okay, and that's all I'm getting at. And I think that it would be better if their policies reflected that in a in, in the, with the same degree of neutrality that the First Amendment does. That would be better. And it would it would it would allow for a more open and honest conversation no, it, on it these university a more corrosive campuses. Environment. What are you talking about? You, you're you're saying it's okay for the corrosive environment talk. already exists. Uh, but eh? this is even more so. I mean, to- you're saying that the hypothetical world gets worse than the world that it is already completely unacceptable. Right, but there needs to be a rel- you can't. I mean, I I feel like I mean, in, in some bizarre world, you can't call for violence. Like, what what are we doing? Like, you, that's. What society are we trying to build where, hey, fair game? Like, he didn't actually do anything. He's just saying things. And then, like, a million people are saying the same thing. And then before you know it, we're, like, in Rwanda. Like, what are we doing? Like, you can't call for genocide. We have lived We have lived in that society for 250 years, okay? We've, we've maintained here in this country with the ability to say whatever the fuck it is that we want to say, including violent rhetoric of that sort. Now, if it crosses over into having the ability to actually incite or, or the likelihood to incite or produce actual violence, then it becomes a, a different question. Right. And I recognize that. But uh, for the most part, the children on college campuses who are making these calls do not actually have that power. Right. Because they're fucking stupid 19 year old children. This is from Britannica.com. A few narrow categories of speech are not protected from government restrictions. The main such categories are incitement, defamation, fraud, obscenity, child pornography, fighting words, and threats. As the Supreme Court held in Br- words. as the Supreme Court held in Brandenburg v. Ohio, 1969, the government may forbid "quote unquote" incitement, speech which is directed at inciting or producing imminent lawless action, and likely and likely to incite or produce such action, such as a speech to a mob urging it to attack a nearby building. But speech urging action at some unspecified future time may not be forbidden. Abe, you might think that it is better for the University of uh, Pennsylvania to have a policy that says we're not going to allow students to gather on the quad and call for to, to make the sorts of violent rhetorical speeches uh, of the sort that we've seen in the last few days because it makes our other protected classes of some sort feel bad. But it is not the way that uh, the government treats speech, that the, the, there's a much higher bar for speech. So when you say 
what sort of a world do we want to live in? My response to that is, yeah, it is to my preference that we not live in a world where people are going around calling for random other groups to be genocided. Obviously, that's a very uh, unpleasant, antisocial place to be. But it is not the sort of thing that I think that the government needs to be in the business of policing because it's a loser's game to try to uh, stop that sort of expression. And because uh, it it becomes the the ability—I mean, I don't need to give—I don't think I don't need to give the reason why we don't put in the hands of uh, whatever elected officials happen to be in charge this week the ability to censor individual thought and expression because it, it just doesn't work, right? Fundamentally, that's the main reason why it doesn't work. And it, in part, it doesn't work because the wrong people end up uh, with the wrong amount of power. And that's a problem. I agree. We should try to build better spaces uh, than that. But it's not clear to me that the three people who testified before Elise Stefanik are at all capable of doing that, given the way that they responded to uh, her questioning uh, last Tuesday. There are, um, you know, anytime there's a call, an incitement to to harm, violence, genocide towards a group of people, your, your target is very broad. Any member of that group will do. Right, I think there was a mob uh, that went to a Israeli or Jewish restaurant or a restaurant owner who was Jewish or Israeli, and they were all in a threatening way surrounding that that establishment. Right, because hey, any Jew will do. Right, the the, the reason why this sort of language calling for whatever is a problem is because anyone who fits that group, let's kill all black people. Any black person that comes across your way, they're in danger. Uh, Kill all white people. Any white person that comes across your way is in danger. You don't want – I think it it is a uh, perversion of what free speech is to to allow that into the mix. Like to say that the calling for violence is okay because then until it actually happens, basically you're kind of creating the environment where it's more likely to happen. And then only when it happens is a problem. Like that – then you get to the point where – you know, incidents of anti-Semitism and anti-Islamophobia, you know, whatever Muslim uh, actions will rise because people are hearing it. They're like, I guess this is okay. Next time I see somebody in a turban, they're getting stabbed. Next time I see the cross or whatever group every is targeted. Every single time you punish free expression, you engender in the population more of the punished expression. And every single time you punish action— the opposite happens. Okay, so when a when a when a when a person stabs a, a six year old Palestinian boy in Indiana or Chicago or wherever the fuck that right. nightmare happened, that person is arrested, and we are it, he, it is revealed to the national consciousness to be an affront to everything. Right to 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 your your basic humanity. You read that story, and it uh, if it doesn't break your heart, uh, you don't have one to be broken. Right. Clearly, but on the public square and or or to or to to try to put Alex Jones down. Alex Jones has been uh, reinstated to Twitter this week by the dumbass Elon Musk. Right? Uh, what has silencing Alex Jones done in the last five years since he was uh, booted off the platform? It did nothing to his ability, and all it did was engender among uh, a huge swath of American dumbasses the belief that he is telling a secret truth that the masters of the universe are trying to keep you from right. hearing. Right? That's the only thing that it accomplished right. uh, by by kicking him off of of the various platforms. No good was right. done, and also by that kicking is Alex speech. Jones. He's just saying nonsense and spreading. 
uh, conspiracy theories or denying reality that school shooting did not happen, calling for violence. Again, it's a separate issue. It's not the same thing as the other issues. At least that's my position. I know I've said this like 20 times, but that is my position on that. It's not okay to call for violence. And it doesn't matter whether or not that violence is, is likely to actually manifest itself in the world. No, that, that alone is enough. Right, but so what, what you're saying is that if I called for, if I made some non-jokey call for violence on this podcast, I should be arrested for it? Go on. What, what does it sound like? <laughs> I've already done it three times, right? I've already said we should eliminate what are you all trying of trying to do, Abe? All of the Filipinos should be kicked out of the United you're States. Not saying Go that. ahead. Say all Filipinos should be killed, right? That you, you, is that is that the same as they should be kicked out of the country? The, the, again, I'm saying like there is a distinction between negative or antipathy or hatred or whatever. What if I just what if I just on on my podcast for 2 hours a week I just went over all of the flaws inherent to Filipino that is, culture. Yeah, that's protected. That, that, that's not violence. Yeah, that's, that all I did was I I constantly harped on the extent to which this is a failed culture. No, that's that, not that's not inciting violence that at the all. World that's just be, complaining. That the world would be an obviously better place. That's kosher. If, that's totally fine. How is that culture? How because is that fine? Because it's not fine? inciting right. violence. It's just complaining. Yeah, complaining is fine. That's Hating what you've is been fine. Doing. Calling for violence is not fine. And I'm not. And what I'm saying is that. You accept the calls for violence because they're not actually violence. That they are. You know they, it's antisocial. It's antisocial, and you should pay some sort of a social cost for it. But it's not clear to me that the government should be in any position uh, to punish it, unless, again, you are in the according to the Brandenburg standard, uh, which is the the standard as far as I know that we we still go by some forty years later, fifty years later. Uh, that, that it's likely to actually incite or produce the actions that you're calling for. Right. But, you know, uh, in, the, in the back and forth when they were uh, screwing up the answer to the question, uh, it seems like they're trying to draw a distinction between, like, uh, like th- uh, incitement to violence towards an individual is different. Is, are they saying, like, yeah. if I said, like, hey, let's kill Bob, like, that, are, are you saying that's not protected speech? Like, but I said, let's kill all the Bobs, it's okay? Like, is that the distinction they're trying to make? Like, if you call for violence toward one specific person, that's specific enough to to warrant some sort of reprimand? But if you say a general group, it's it's okay? The distinction is that it's bullying or harassment if it's targeted at an individual, rather than just being a, a, a rhetorical political statement, right? right. So... Yes, to some extent, uh, it is perfectly acceptable to say uh, white men are the devil and down with the white supremacy and down with the patriarchy. But if they say, and there goes one, get him, then that becomes well, an let's incitement say you don't do to that, violence, the, the pointing right? Too. You're in a uh, school setting. There's a thousand people and there are three Asian students, right? Three Asian students out of a thousand, right? And you say, enough of all these Asians. What? 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 We need another uh, (laughs) – choose a different minority here. (laughs) Imagine that this was uh, the makeup of the school and somebody did not point to the three. Must be a bunch of Laotians you're talking about (laughs) here. Uh, (laughs) I know. (laughs) If you said – Enough of these. I did the racism right. It took me a while. I was trying to do hypothetical racisms earlier. If you said, I just like, we need get to get rid of all of the Asian people, of right? We need to kill the Asian people. I didn't point to the three, right? I didn't point to the three, but it's understood. There they are, right? 
I'm not saying is, they're there. Are you are you addressing uh, obviously potentially violent mob who has the capacity? They're chanting. To do they're such you know they're into my back and forth. You know the call and response. They're really into it. They're all jazzed up. You know they're animated. And then they're 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 taking to my uh, violent language, my violent rhetoric. Yeah, I think I think that if if someone in that crowd then went over to our sad Laotians and attempted to do violence to them, you would uh, be charged with a crime but as well then. because you incited you incited that crowd to do uh, harm that then came. So the actual to harm pass. would actually have to take place. It can't just be like you're. Cr- I think. I don't know. That's a question that I think can also be decided in the courts, right? right? That, that if if you are a thousand-person strong mob and ultimately nothing comes of your uh, violent rhetoric, I think an enterprising attorney general or, or, or local uh, uh, prosecutor could say, Abe, that speech that you gave was an incitement to violence and it doesn't matter that nothing actually ended up coming of it because uh, that crowd was in a state that could have been riled up and it was it would have been reasonable for you to expect uh, that the result of your speech was the likely outcome of, of uh, the production of the action that you were calling for. Uh, and then it would be up to a jury, I suppose, at that point. Uh, that that is a that is a question of judgment. But as a question of principle, which is not something that any of the three people before Stefanik or Stefanik herself were uh, interested in addressing or adhering to, uh, I think that it, it's clear, and that the uh, uh, freedom of expression and a, a neutral stance of our institutions, especially our government institutions, and in a more specific way to this conversation, again. Our academic institutions should not be taking the sort of moralizing stances that they have taken over the course of the last generation or so. They should take a more neutral stance, the way that the University of Chicago has very specifically said, we don't make these sorts of calls. We don't make these sort of institutional statements of support for this group or that group or against this group or that group because it's a loser's game to attempt to do that, as as the three presidents who went before Congress this week proved. The uh, the the era of uh, silence as violence is over. I take it, right? I mean, we're we're way past that now. We're like calls for violence. No, you have to post on social media, yeah. or it's the same as doing nothing. I I would just like a clarification on what this Stefanik person wanted to happen, because she seemed very aggressive, and I did not like her vibe at all. So she like, wanted them to say so. In at least, Steph- first of all, she got exactly what she wanted, more right? Than she, she wanted, right? Uh, I mean, she she pro- must have been surprised. Like, oh man, they're fucking up the first question because she was setting her up for so the knockout she punch. She wanted to say, "Is this right?" This was the left jab yeah. that fucking knocked them yeah. out. This wasn't the roundhouse. <laughs> well, it made her look very unlikable. That's so. to you, unfortunately. Yeah, me. To uh, to her side of the aisle, she was she's presented but as what's the, her the side big of winner. The aisle? She's a fucking Trumpy the, the, Republican. Type. I don't know. I could. Ju- she was just off-putting. Is all I know. Yeah, she's very Basically, stupid. Her, and her angle is the, the permissiveness on uh, on the left when it comes to this issue. She's gonna make a lot of hay out of this. She's gonna. It's so her gotcha was. You're not allowed to incite violence unless it's against Jews. I, yes. Yeah, I think what she was okay. She was thinking that she was going to get them to, say, to box them in to say yes to the first question and say, then why aren't you kicking those people out? And then it would have been, you know, like screwed that up, and then she would have made hay out of that. But they screwed up the first question, not answering the hypothetical in the way that she expected them, because she actually answered for them. Like the answer is yes. She wanted them to like what. Are you, 
You don't ever have to say yes or no when the asshole on the on the congressional She's dais very is saying it's a yes or no question. It's never a yes or no question when they present it to you as a yes or no question. You can always say that's not a yes or no answer, I'm afraid, because uh, it, it, it does, in fact, depend on the context here. She, and, and they did say that, and she was a big baby about if, it. Uh, if anyone was retaining... Yes or no! Yes or <laughs> if, no! If anyone, Just like, ma'am, <laughs> stop. If anyone was uh, retaining uh, my PR services, the answer is unequivocal. You say it's never okay, because she gave them a very clean hypothetical. Just lift to fight the other argument. Like, it was just a waste of... Back and forth. And again, the proof is in the pudding. What she, does, she does couch it at the very beginning. She does couch it in terms of the calls for intifada, right. which gives them the opening to say, these things are completely open to interpretation. And I understand that it makes uh, my Jewish brothers and sisters feel right. uncomfortable because of the long history of violence against them uh, uh, there in Israel, uh, where they're an occupying force, according to some of the people who teach at my school. Right. Um, and you know what? Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. But we are an institute of higher lear- learning and exploration and trying to figure out what the fuck is happening in the world. Uh, anyway. I didn't expect to talk about that for as long as we did, but here we are. Surprise, surprise. Uh, let's see. Anything else in the WGAS news bag? Some late breaking news here about uh, Jack Smith is the prosecutor who's indicted Trump twice this year, and he has now gone straight to the Supreme Court uh, in an attempt to answer the question whether or not Trump is immune from prosecution for crimes allegedly committed while he was president of the United States. This is in particular in relation to the uh, violence and the, the attempt Inciting to... violence? The, the attempt to overturn the election, uh, specifically inclu- uh, culminating in the what happened on January 6th. And Trump has said that he should be... Trump's lawyers, anyway, has said that he should be immune from prosecution... Uh, because he was the president then, and in sort of a Nixonian frost uh, formulation, when the president does it, it's right. not illegal because I'm the goddamn president. And an appeals court, uh, or the rather the uh, the judge in the case, Chutnik or Chutnak or something like that, has uh, sided with Smith, saying, uh, "Yeah, Mr. President, you're not uh, exempt from." laws just because you're the president. But the Trump people are appealing that to the U.S. uh, Court of Appeals uh, D.C. Circuit. And Smith has said, we don't have time for any of this nonsense with the appeals court and the back and forth because we're trying to get through this as quickly as possible before the election in November because the people have a right to know whether or not their president (laughs) is a crook. I don't think that's how he talks. I've never heard him talk. Uh, but he, that's would how be a he, weird coincidence if he talked that. That's way. how Jack Smith should talk. And so, rather than uh, play the Trump lawyer game of we're going to appeal this to this, and then a month after that we'll appeal it to the next thing, and it's going to take six months, and then you'll never get your trial done, and then Trump is going to be elected president in November anyway, and then uh, he's just going to have an attorney general who's going to tell Jack Smith take his silly little indictments and yeah. go away, uh, because that's unfortunately how the system would work if that's how it would play out. Instead. Jack Smith went to the Supreme Court today and said, hey, guys, uh, let's skip all the nonsense and just go straight to you on the question of whether or not Donald Trump is immune from prosecution on this stuff. And the Supreme Court responded uh, rather quickly, not saying yes or no, 
but they, they granted the motion that they're going to at least hear about it. And so the Supreme Court uh, told the Trump lawyers to be prepared to talk to them by December 20th. The like half Trump nominated Supreme Court? Yes, the Supreme Court that certainly does lean conservative, although— uh, Not just conservative. What percentage of them were, like, literal Trump appointees? A third? Three of them, but I— A third? A full third? Go ahead and be cynical about it all you I'm want. I'm not being cynical. I, that was just math. Right. I was just doing math. Think, what, uh, okay. You're obviously <laughs> being cynical about it. The The three of them are, I think, among— Let's see here. That's uh, Coney Barrett, Gorsuch, and tell me how and I Kavanaugh, think. the the beer drinker, and Kavanaugh. Yeah. I think there's maybe one in there who would uh, I don't go think with. Any of, I think uh, all of those are reliable votes. I think it's basically Thomas and Alito, right? Who are? It's Thomas yeah. and Alito who are. Uh, uh, this is a seven-two, in my opinion. Or, uh, do do you think? You know, one of the possibilities is that even though they're, they're going to hear it, they're going to say that it's still premature. It sounds like it's something they're going to kick back down because, like, it's incoherent for them to come to the conclusion that the president is above uh, the law in this case because wouldn't there have been some sort of injunction in the process? Wouldn't they have prevented this the proceedings to take place? Why would they wait until he got convicted if they already decided that the president is above this law? or above any sort of prosecution uh, while he was president. Why wouldn't they have stepped in sooner if that's their belief? Like, they must actually, it must be a 7-2 or likely 8-1. But I think what's more likely is that they're going to say, this is an important issue, but let the process play out, and then we'll hear it once it goes through the, the, the proper steps. If that were the case, if that were the case, why would they have bothered uh, to grant the motion in the first place? I, 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 I that I don't know, but I, I just it seems to me like it, 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 I don't know. There's something odd about their decision making. Like it seems to me like they're gonna come down and say this is premature and we're not gonna do anything. But I don't know why they picked up the case. I think that they picked up the case because they uh, have basically already, or at least whoever it was, and there's never any knowing. Uh, until much later, who like made the decision and and where the votes and you were need on four this? But to hear, right? I think the rule is if four of the justices are in on hearing it, then it'll go through. So four of them decided right. to go through with it. So it must be the four yes, like the president can be convicted of whatever. They may not have a fifth, right? And I I just I cannot fathom that there are five votes on this court that say that the president is above right. the law, like, <laughs> which is ultimately what they're asking. And uh, to me, it is not, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to me to be an unreasonable ask by Smith to say, look, ultimately, we know that the result of this is that this is going to come before you one way or another. And it is in the interest of the American public to have an outcome here as quickly as possible, uh, preferably before the like Trump doesn't not benefit from a speedy trial. That's not how the like that's not in the Constitution somewhere. I mean, now granted, if he gets an it, it's a question of fairness ultimately. But he has presumably essentially limitless uh, resources in terms of uh, defending himself, and there's no like, there's no reason to say that he cannot be provided an adequate defense uh, this calendar year rather than dragging it out over the course of the next uh, right. twelve months. You know. Uh- 
now that I think about it, then it, it is likely going to be like you said. It's going to be like a seven two eight one because the three liberal justices would want to offer clarity on this issue, so there would have been three to pick it up, and and Roberts is the fourth, but like he wouldn't bring it up if he was concerned that it would go the other way, um, and so like he must be assured that they have the votes. And this will kind of provide clarity so that the cases can proceed. Because you you wouldn't – I mean this would be like a a nuclear bomb if in what? Like if they're hearing what in in late December and they will decide whenever, like before – what is it, March? Like the the first case begins in March. So like they would want to give some sort of clarity before then or maybe even in June. If it was like, oh, the president is above the – it would create unnecessary chaos. Uh, right. So I can't imagine it would go the other way. You thought the Biden crime family enterprise was is serious before. Just wait. <laughs> you you thought you knew dark Brandon before. He'll be unleashed if uh, if the ruling comes down the I other know, the way. Unintended consequences. Yeah, especially like it would be like a very dangerous time for like a uh, like a lame duck president. Like let's say uh, they they came and said it's okay. Presidents can take a shit on anything. Like those last two three months are going to be uh, very unnerving. We're not just talking about popping the W's off of the keyboards anymore, <laughs> are we? All right. Uh, that'll be fine for the news bag. Let's move on to cast iron balls. It's time for sports. Abe, Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani has signed a contract worth $700 million. This is in uh, uh, far excess of what he was expected to sign. He was expected to sign the biggest contract in Major League Baseball history. Uh, somewhere in the low $500 million to maybe uh, $600 million right. range. Instead, it comes out to $700 million for the next 10 years of playing baseball. That's a lot of money. Uh, but the contract doesn't end when his uh, playing time with the Dodgers expires 10 seasons from now. In fact, all but $20 million of this $700 million is going to be paid in deferred installments that begin after his playing time with the Dodgers ends uh, 10 years from now, and he'll be paid $680 million in the 10 years that follow his playing time with the Dodgers, which presumably will be his last contract because he is uh, 29 years old. Wouldn't expect necessarily to play much beyond that, uh, assuming that he stays healthy. And certainly uh, this is a guy who uh, plays a lot of baseball, right? He's a starting pitcher and then also plays uh, the rest of the week as well. He's Laurie's kind of ball player. Laurie's long uh, shat on starting pitchers in baseball because, oh, you, you work one day and then you need four or five days off, you bums. Uh, Otani, I'm just saying my wrist hurts because Ot- I work all the time. Otani pitches on day one. He also hits on day one and then hits That's on days two through it, five as well. That should be well. the norm. That should not be $700 million. That should be, you know, 50 bucks an hour. Uh, the problem is that he also uh, hits better than anyone else in the sport and pitches That's better than like right. 90% He's of the other players in the sport. Else. He is he is in the the Ricky Henderson or the Bill James formulation of Ricky Henderson's career is that you could split Ricky Henderson's career in two right down the middle and you would have two 
Hall of Fame careers. Uh, if instead of doing that to uh, Otani's career, you did it to his person in right. some way, you would probably have two Hall of Fame baseball to, players. To there. that point. Uh, if he continues at the pace that he's gone the last three when, or four years. When uh, the story first broke, I, you sent me a, a message, but there was also a, a Washington Post alert uh, that came to my phone, and it read uh, Shohei Otani MLB's two-way star signed with the Los Angeles, inking a blah 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 blah. It just said with the Los Angeles. So I thought it was gonna be like a power Ooh. sharing agreement between the Dodgers and the Angels, where he would like pitch for <laughs> one. That for would both. be so cool. <laughs> Which is weird because like he's staying in Los Angeles. It'll be double the agent Angels who had Trout and this guy, and they can't do yeah. shit with either. He's gonna. He's going to pitch for the Angels, but he's going to hit for the Dodgers. I would love that. I would love that so much. That should be normalized. Also, the, the, I don't know who came up with this uh, accounting trick, but it's genius because couldn't they invest the money that they don't have to pay just yet? That they'll be, and yes. so they'll, they'll be able to get money yes, off of they that. Can. Uh, I, I've it's seen not some, an accounting trick. It's just accounting. I've seen some attempts at justifying uh, the size of this contract from a fiduciary uh, standpoint for the yeah. Dodgers. And it, and the story goes something like, yeah, sure, it's $700 million, but this is the most popular player on the planet. Some amount of the actual value of the team has been significantly increased by this signing, where he's now the face of the franchise for the next decade, and that that has a that has huge uh, meaning not on just on this continent, but also uh, in Japan and around the world. And uh, so, so the the actual value of the franchise presumably has actually gone up this week. And then on top of that, you have uh, merchandise right. sales and and marketing opportunities. And all of the rest of that, which, of course, is also priced into the value of the club. But in terms of revenue, uh, presumably, the, the Dodgers are going to – they'll be able to make a better television and radio deal. They'll be – like all of the things right. that go and with the Dodgers make it uh, deeper. being a popular – I mean, the Angels never make it really far. It's like the Dodgers have been a competitive team for many years. So he'll be playing – Right, haven't missed the playoffs. Haven't missed the playoffs in in a decade, and and will continue because uh, they have arguably three of the five best players in baseball now. They have Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Shohei Otani uh, right at the top of their goddamn lineup, uh, which is quite serious. Back to the uh, counting wizardry. So the reason that they do this is in part because the Dodgers don't want to be forced to pay. A huge uh, uh, a competitive balance tax, it's called, which is essentially if you violate the salary cap, you owe back to Major League Baseball a big pile of money, which is then distributed among the poorer teams, right? So that it's a it's a way of taking from the haves who are willing to spend uh, over I forget what the number is. It's like two hundred and seventy million dollars or something like that, or or maybe less than that. Uh, but if you go over that number uh, in year one, you have to pay like a 12% penalty. And then in year two, you have to pay more than that. And then eventually it maxes out at like some progressive income tax or right. penalty tax, like 40-something percent. Is there um, – uh, real quick, uh, is there a mechanism to recover some of that money if all of that salary produces an early round exit? Like, you know, like, hey, we spent a lot of money and our team shat the bed. Can we get, like, some of that back? Maybe, like, you know, half of it? Come on. Obviously, the money meant nothing. Is that how it 
Is that is that how you're accustomed to it working, <laughs> tax man? Is that, <laughs> are those is that, are those sorts of uh, things factored into uh, any IRS considerations? And I was Uncle Sam, yes, but I, I don't uh, yeah. run things. But no, I mean you know teams spend all that money and like you know the Braves and they don't make it far. Like I, I get a double whammy of like an early exit and I pay all the stupid money. Right. Well, the way that the the way that this works is that his an, average annual value of this contract, rather than being, because this is some very simple math, even even we here at CIB can do it, seven hundred million divided by ten years is seventy million dollars right. per year, right? That's pretty simple. So that would be, you would think, the the factored that that's how they would determine his hit against the cap in any other sport right it would be a 70 million dollar cap hit uh that's not how it works in baseball because he has signed a contract that will pay him though he's only going to be competing for the Dodgers for 10 years it's going to pay him out over the course of the next 20 years his average annual value is uh going to come to 46 million dollars a year rather than 70 million dollars a year now if you do well it's like a pension if you do the math on that, it's a right. It's sort of like a pension. It's also weird that he's not catching any benefit from that. I mean, beyond the seven hundred million dollars, right. but like it's guaranteed uh, too, right? They're it's, not. Pay- it's, a, it's like a hundred percent guaranteed. Fully a fully guaranteed. Yeah, it's thing. a pension. Yeah. I, it's I, a I defined benefit know, pension plan. I, I fucking learned. I would love to know the insurance hit for them on this yeah. contract because this is almost certainly an insured contract. So that in the event that uh, Shohei Otani's arm blows up, or uh, he dies of COVID, or something, or some some asshole podcaster starts calling for his <laughs> genocide, uh, and something bad happens. Is it genocide if it's, it's just one, one person. It's a new wrinkle. Yes, we've been through that. <laughs> then they won't have to pay the full seven hundred million dollars that whoever their insurer is will have to right. pay it out. But yeah, to Otani, it's it's fully guaranteed. But yeah, like I said, so you you try to figure out the arithmetic here. Uh, 700 million divided by 46 comes out to like 15 years. So I think that the way that they're doing the math on this is that it must include the penalty, okay. which is what his, so his hit against the cap is instead of being 30 million, which is what it, or 35 million, which is what it should be, uh, that's what the actual average annual value is. I assume that they're factoring in uh, the penalty to that in order to get to the, his hit against the cap being $46 million. So after a good bit of reading about this, I finally found an article that more or less explains how this average annual value is calculated for the purposes of figuring out how the competitive balance tax is going to be applied to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, it's a little bit complicated. I'll make sure there's a link to the article from Fangraphs that I found in the show note, uh, should you care to peruse that. But instead of thinking of it as a penalty, it's actually better to think of it as a discount that the Dodgers are getting for having shoved all of this payroll off 10 years into the future. The discount, uh, it's called the, the yearly discount rate, which is the imputed loan interest rate, they call it. And that is uh, directly linked to the IRS's previous year's federal midterm rate, uh, which happens to be 4.43% right now. So what you do is you take the $68 million, which is the amount that is being deferred in each of the 10 seasons, you divide that by the discount rate 
to the 10th power because you're multiplying it 10 times because every year that the contract is delayed in year one, it's delayed 10 years to year 11 in year two, it's delayed 10 years to year 12. So every single time it's 10 years delayed, you take 0. 0.0443 to the 10th power, add a one to it, divide $68 million by that number, and that's how you come up with $46 million a year. Uh, complicated and probably uh, too much detail, but that's the answer to the question that was bothering me all day yesterday. Is this fair is sort of the – I know it's a – No. To some extent, you should point at this and be like, ah, this is fucked up. Uh, but the Dodgers are going to only be paying Shohei Otani $2 million a year for the next 10 years. And only $2 million is what you just said. Out of a $700 million. I'm not talking about the relative fairness to me and you and like okay. uh, all of that. Still no. Uh, relative to being the single best baseball player on the planet and and the most interesting baseball player in in a century arguably. They're only paying out 2 million dollars a year over the course of the next decade and uh don't have to pay into the MLB kitty the full amount of this $70 million a year that they're ultimately paying him for his work. Is this a bad system uh, that, that only allows the haves to have more and get richer uh, while, while kicking a pittance on down to like the Oakland A's of the world or the, or the Tampa Bay Rays of the world? I wonder, uh, is, is this first, first of all, is this something that everyone is aware of? Like did the Dodgers pull a fast one? Like what was the other team? Like the, 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 the Blue Jays were also reportedly. It's not clear to me that the Blue Jays were ever actually in on this, except that like this one Sports Illustrated doofus was insisting that this was a thing that was about to happen. And in fact, I read an article on SportsIllustrated.com. But that might have been a robot that insisted that it was a done right. deal. I think I, yeah. That the that the deal was done, and then worst of all, in a our bogus future kind of moment, this morning. After I spent all weekend reading about the deal that Shohei Otani signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers, I got a Google News notification on my phone pointing me to the two-and-a-half, three-day-old report of the Sports Illustrated doofus, (laughs) and the headline still said Shohei Otani is about to sign with the Toronto Blue Jays. Like, yeah, it's weird when that What are you doing, yeah. Google? Google's Get it right, Google. Screwing things up. Today's news, please. Anyway, uh, is this and, – and yes, the answer is uh, all of the clubs are aware of this situation. None of the clubs are uh, as good at playing this particular game as the Dodgers are. They have done this also with their long contracts for – Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, uh, which, by the way, that's the other funny thing about a deal this size is it makes all of the other contracts that have been signed in the last few years look like absolute steals by comparison. Like the Braves were quibbling with Freddie Freeman over one more year at $30 million a year. Are you fucking kidding me? Like that was the conversation they were having. Just pay him until twenty fucking seventy, and it, it'll be fine. Right. Apparently, yeah, th- that I, I do wonder at the next, you know, the next time they they do the the collective bargaining agreement, if they're going to do anything about this because, like, extending the runway the way that the Dodgers have to twenty years. I mean, why can't it be like a like a Scientology contract, a thousand years? 
we'll uh, <laughs> pay you, you know, a dollar a day or something. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, I forget the name of what it is, a principle maybe in accounting. I think it's called like continuing entity. Yeah. And it's the, the assumption, maybe that's what it is, that the entity will continue to exist forever. Like you have to make these business, you have to make these accounting decisions assuming that this will exist right. forever. So this falls yeah. in line hey, with so that. We'll pay for three generations worth of Otanis. Uh, but yeah. I, I do wonder if the whole point of the, what was it, competitive balance tax is to prevent the Dodgers and the Yankees and a few other ball clubs that have uh, deep pockets to accumulate the best talent. If you're trying to prevent that, obviously this tax didn't do the trick, right? So may, I know it's rich coming from me, but maybe up the tax a little uh, to prevent, to, to achieve the desired result, you know, up the tax, make it a little more cost prohibitive. Right. But then the other question is, is there anyone else in baseball who had a realistic shot at signing Otani? And the answer is probably right. not, that the Dodgers are sort of uniquely positioned to do this. And what is the advantage of sending Otani to another team like the Angels? Like, Would it have been cool if he had been an Atlanta Brave? Yeah, yeah I guess so. I think it would have been fucking weird to have Acuna, who's maybe the second best player or or – you know, certainly a top five player in baseball there making $17 million on a, on a $96 million contract while Otani is there making a billion dollars over the course of a decade. Right. By uh, the way, both of them and like, who knows, who, don't speak English, right? Or they don't uh, publicly speak it. Acuna doesn't speak too much right. public English. Yeah. But yeah, like to me, that would like, you don't know what that does to a clubhouse. Like it could be doing weird things. I suspect the Dodgers, if any team, uh, will be equipped to deal with that. But yeah, I don't know what the virtue is of sending Shohei Otani to some team that can't necessarily compete anytime soon, in part because they don't have the financial resources to sign someone like Shohei Otani, right? right? It's a it's a self-fulfilling right. thing. And it, to some extent, this does feel a little bit like Durant to the Warriors right. back in whatever year that right. was. Like when Kevin Durant is like, you know, what would be fun is winning titles instead of fucking not winning titles. So I'm just going to go play for uh, the Warriors right. because they keep winning titles. <laughs> I want some of that. And that seems like fun. Right. But right. And, and to, to some extent, like uh, the Dodgers have only got one in the last uh, long run of success. Well, get more than that But they're now. certainly – Right, they're certainly positioned. Well, that's the thing. Is like that. It's weird how baseball works, and the way that the playoffs work is, yeah, you expect them to be in a better position now uh, to be able to do it. With, I mean, they're already a very, very good baseball organization who maximize uh, their results from their mid-level players. But now to also have three future Hall of Famers at the top of the at the top of the batting order is is just is just not fair. Not literally not fair, but just I was gonna say, not you, fair. You said it was fair. Uh, let's do quick strassman. It's now time for America's favorite game show. Did Mark Strassman, CBS News' senior national correspondent, get off a good one? CBS's Mark Strassman reports the battle concerns changing zoning laws that threaten to turn their ancestral home into a summer playground for the rich. By ferry... Nikki Williams brought us to Sapelo Island, deeply rooted in West African Gullah Geechee culture. 
44 families settled here after the Civil War. Their Gullah Geechee community, all formerly enslaved people. All day. Every day. We, are, we will fight for it. Among today's descendants, Nikki Williams. This is the closest thing that you can get to being in Africa. You feel it in your bones? Absolutely. This is Hog Hammock. Little more than 400 acres, fewer than 30 full-time families. There is no Main Street here, just scattered homes. Scattered like more and more of the original families in this historic enclave. Back in September, the McIntosh County Commission changed Sapelo's zoning laws. Home sizes can double. Potentially ahead, million-dollar properties, raised property taxes, and current homeowners priced out and pushed out. They have an extreme uphill battle. Commissioner Roger Lotson, one of only two no votes, and the only commissioner who agreed to talk to us. Is this a battle of rich versus poor? In part, it is. Black versus white? In part, it is. Simply because there are not as many rich black folks as there are rich white folks. Now at risk, one of America's last intact Gullah Geechee communities. I can't see how you can't see how that hurts. And it's not just me, it's all of the descendants. A community born in blood and tears, now sweating out its future. Mark Strassman, CBS News, Sapelo <laughs> Island, Georgia. Oh, come on, Strassman. <laughs> hey, did CBS News' senior national news correspondent get off a good one? No, sweating out oh, of future. He just delivered it At the wrong. end there? No, he delivered it. It's That was bad writing because... Ooh, sorry, Mark. Try again next time. He said the word scattered twice when if he had just used it the once. Well, that was the early yeah. one. Scattered like more and more of the yeah, original I, I families had, from yeah. this historic yeah. enclave. That was his chance, and he fucked it up. He had an opportunity to go like scattered, smothered, and covered, <laughs> like do some Waffle House work down there and <laughs> off the coast of Georgia. No. He, he, how did he not somehow work in... Uh, hog heaven. I thought that was coming for sure. <laughs> I was Maybe reference to some was coming. I knew something was coming, but the sweating out its future after the. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I agree that uh, I I am uh, in this apartment complex that used to be a Ford factory, and it's like registered with whatever, like a historic preservation kind of thing. So they, nice. even though my surrounding neighborhood, they're destroying everything and building new fancy posh places yep. like they're not doing anything to this place because it's protected you would think that place would have some sort of similar protection is that what's is that what's keeping your rent so reasonable these yeah. many years later yeah there's like there's like a little plaque outside saying hey, you can't fuck with this place it's uh they used to make cars here Nice. Abe's standing around with a placard being like, no improvements here, you bums. <laughs> I, like, I like my fucking shitty concrete walls that I can't hang anything on. That's right. All right. So Strassman doesn't get off a good one despite there being ample opportunity to do so. Let's play the Billboard Hot 100 game. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Billboard Hot 100 game on the cast iron brain. As you know, we're 
attempting to prove the degradation of the culture using the Billboard Hot 100 charts, we will roll the dice to choose a song off of this week's Billboard Hot 100 and then compare it to the song in that same position for the same week of a randomly selected year between 1983 and 2012. Why... 2012 because that was the last time party rockers lmfao appeared on the billboard hot 100 as you're uh, gathering the numbers uh is it fair to say that so far it's still too soon to tell or have we made a decision one way or the other it's like the needle points a little to the past yeah. uh, but not strong if we're right. trying to uh, uh need a larger sample just size. based on the first five versions of this game this is now game number six we have one push between past and present. We have one vote for the new song, and we have three votes for the past oh, song. Oh, three, okay. So that's so, yeah. where Leaning we are right now. Not, yeah. Also, one of those three, like, I like the new one better. So. Okay. All right. And our numbers are, we're going to position number 25 on the Billboard not bad. Hot 100 chart, and the year is number 20, and inspecting my chart here, that takes us to 2002. It's been in the early 2000s a lot. We're getting some sort of boy band. The whole, like, mid to late 90s, the whole thing. Is this tail end boy band era? What is 2002? M&M? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe like some Christina Aguilera action there. All right, let's look at the billboard for this week. Uh, number one this week is Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, uh, classic Christmas. But they shouldn't count. I don't know what to tell you. It's just what number one is. We've got, <laughs> we're just going with the billboard, okay? Which version of it? What do you mean? It's uh, Brenda Lee. Brenda Lee, okay. Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. So this, uh, to some extent, Lori's uh, identifying uh, perhaps a flaw in the way the billboard tracks things now. It wasn't always the case that Billboard could fully capture uh, what America was listening to, uh, say, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. They were going on uh, how many spins a record was getting. And sales. uh, On the the radio airplays. And then also, yes, sales, no doubt. You did have more data Uh, points back then, right? I mean, like, now it's like... No, less. And now they're... What do you have now? I mean, do people actually buy CDs? Isn't it just streaming? Yeah. Yeah, it's a but relatively stream- paltry. Streaming across all different ways and like YouTube and the downloads and the radio. Like- right. So Billboard has a far better oh, idea of what Americans oh, okay. are actually listening Currently to these days. Listening to. But it doesn't bias towards the new shit in the way that it uh, perhaps used to. So uh, we might run into a couple of those problems we already well, have, we did in with fact. fucking Taylor Swift. And so if you're just looking at the top 10 for this week, we have one, two, three, four, five, six of the top 10 are all uh, Christmas classics. Okay. All uh, the newest one probably Which speaks to all I want for Christmas is you. music is now. Uh, also, the, the timing that we're doing this. So, like, it's likely, is it likely over the couple of weeks we'll, we'll run into, like, the top five song, like, 15 year depart and they're both like Mariah Carey like is that well, like Yeah, it? it's going to be all Mariah Carey right. soon. Right. As we get closer to Christmas, it's just going to it's going to be that one song somehow occupying all of the spots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like remix. All right, we have uh, number 25 this week. I'm not even going to tell you. I'm just going to play the right. song because we all know this one. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car. 
hate this. But also, this is the whole problem. This Luke, is Luke Combs, number 25 on this week's... Covering a song from the past. This is the second time this has happened, isn't it? Also... No, the first one was Taylor Swift being the actual song from the past. Well, covering her own self, yes. Also, when you do a cover, it's weird that they don't, they're, there's no... It's like you have to know that information. Like, there isn't a way to, like, phrase the title, like, to reflect that this is a cover of something. Because the no. way that it reads there, it just says Luke Holmes, Fast Cars. And if I'm just some young kid coming to age, I'm like, oh, look at this fucking fat As guy. As established making... in a previous conversation we about this very about this song, song. Yeah. Tracy Chapman is just fine with it. She's, I'm, I'm glad she's Tracy's fine with getting, it. Tracy's getting her check. She doesn't care that it doesn't say Luke Combs hyphen fast car parentheses. No, and it never Tracy has. Chapman wrote this. Luke Combs is a slob and parentheses. It's just a nice check coming to Tracy's bank account and good for her. Let's go to 2002. It would be so lovely if we got like instead of 2002, 1994, and it was Tracy Chapman's Fast Car. Yeah, that would have been great. Week of Sunday, December 8th, 2002, puts us uh, roughly in the right position here. Uh, the number one song that week, Abe, I believe you called it. Uh, you said we might run into some Eminem. Number one that week was Lose Yourself by Eminem. That's right. This is, this is around that time he had that... Was it that movie came out around that night? There's vomit on a sweater already. Mom's spaghetti. Yeah, well, yeah. that's what that song is from. Let's see. Top 10, we got a little Missy Misdemeanor Elliot. Uh, no Doubt. J-Lo. Jay-Z. Nelly. Sean Paul. Very much yes. a, uh, a hip-hop-dominated top 10. LL Cool J. We got Madonna in the top 20. Dixie Chicks, Creed in the top 20. Good Lord. And number 25. Oh, man. Ugh, this isn't going to be fun for any of us. Was it like number number 26 was Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. <laughs> we, escaped, we escaped that terrible fate. Number 23 was John Myers' Your Body is a Wonderland. We escaped that terrible fate. John Meyer? John Mayer. Yes. What's wrong with you? All right, this is a song by an outfit called Rascal Flats. The song is uh -oh. These Days. It was number 25 in December of I don't like it. 2002. We don't like it. We haven't even heard it yet. We already know we don't like it. Yeah, life throws your curves, but you learn to swerve. Me, I swung and I missed, and the next thing you know, I'm reminiscing, dreaming old dreams, wishing old wishes, like you would be back again. I wake up and teardrops fall down like rain. I put on that old song we danced to, and then I head off into my job. And guess not much has changed across the car. Interesting choices altogether. What is this? 
Boy, what if what if Train, one of the worst bands in the history of music, sucked ass? What if, what if a terrible band sounded more like country and was worse? Uh, Rascal Flats these days. Here's the here's another uh, problem we're going to run into with our thesis here, which is that if we run into uh, new country garbage like the Rascal Flats yes. or or uh, sort of R and B hip hop thing fusion from the from any point in the last thirty to forty years, those two genres of music have been doing completely forgettable. None of this matters, but it's going to be wildly popular anyway. Thing forever, right? right. They've already been doing that for the entire time. So, uh, uh, once again, this is going to be an asterisk kind of week because I think that hands down, even Luke Combs's version of Fast is, Car but also is it, preferable it to count. the Rascal Flats. But uh, it gets the asterisk because that is a cover of a much uh, superior song and version of that song uh, as performed by Tracy Chapman. From uh, the time period in question. From the correct time period, Any yes. chance Rascal Flats, that uh, not-so-great song, is a cover? I yeah, don't, sure. I guess. But probably not. Who, it sounded really bad. Who would bad. ever know? That <laughs> song sucks. So this is like uh, unanimous, right? music is so dumb. I was uh, Justin Bullock, now an intellectual, but we were driving somewhere. and That's probably that, uh, one of those dudes that you went to concerts with back in your days of thinking, yeah, yeah I'm going with my husband or boyfriend to things, and now you just remember them as yeah, having been with Justin Bullock. It was littler, though. You know Justin I know who, yes, of course. Um, we were driving somewhere and a song started playing and he said the words, I was selling turnips out the back of my truck and I thought he was like making up funny, jokey song lyrics. And then the singer of the song started singing the words, I was selling turnips out the back <laughs> of my truck. And I was like, wow, that, that was... The- that was the real words. <laughs> I was sitting there selling turnips on a flatbed truck, crunching on a pork rind when she pulled up. Country music is not a thing that I can relate to. Elsewhere in the top 100 this that week in 2002, uh, we had uh, Foo Fighters, All My one Life. One by one, hitting up my sleeve. a good one nirvana you know you're right that was the that single that they i won't move away from here you won't be afraid of fear the thought was put into this i always know to come like this that shouldn't count single that they produced for their uh with the lights out was that the name of that i don't know Anyway, it's a very, very good box set. It's a sort of career retrospective of Nirvana, and I love that song. I think that's a perfectly fine song. But it still shouldn't count. We've got the Chili Peppers in the top 100 uh, with songs off of uh, By the Way at that time. It was a good time to be a Chili Peppers fan. What else? Plenty of... Outcasts. Plenty of Christina Aguilera, and there's some Audio Slave... We could have had we could have had some really good stuff here. Unfortunately, we landed on the Rascal Flats, but that's it's the nature of the game. 
So the present from the past is better than the the song from 20 years ago. Yeah, I think that's clear, right? Yes. There's no objections to the handing it to Luke Combs this week, correct? Yes, yes but with the asterisk. Yeah, sure. Further muddying this whole uh, <laughs> concept. I think it's no, proving it the thesis. I disagree. It. I think it continues to. I think everything is only going to confirm my pre-existing uh, theory. It, here, well, it's, but is, it's because it's how ultimately this segment will be published in, the, in academic in the, journals. Keeping score. This is a point for the the present, and and it should be the past. Yes, yeah. but the, the if you look yeah. at the all the times the present gets the check, yeah. it's when it's a song from the past, right? That's true, yeah. So that proves it even more. Yeah. Abe, I'm now going to give you the opportunity. This is uh, this is Cast Iron Brains, of course. It's not the morning press. But the morning press is in the brainiron.com multinational media empire, uh, as is Cast Iron Brains, their sibling podcasts. Now is your chance. Uh, the last week of shows is in the can. It is available for you at brainiron.substack.com. Abe, you can now raise an objection to anything that I said, and otherwise we will assume that uh, you fully endorse everything that was said on the morning press over the course of the last week. Yes. Thumbs up from Abe. Good to go. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast from Bob and Abe. Find the show on the website, brainiron.com. Castironbrains.com takes you to the same place, but best of all, head on over to brainiron.substack.com for the uh, continuing expanding universe of uh, the brainiron.com multinational media empire. The hope is to eventually move everything over there. We're going to a, a big announcement about 2024. Uh, I'm going to monetize this fucking uh, business of mine that I'm in, this podcasting business. Uh, nothing will change for you, the average Cast Iron Brains listener. You will still always get a, an episode of Cast Iron Brains uh, free to listen to, uh, which is, I'm doing it the exact opposite way that you should. All of the offensive, terrible, antisocial things that I say will be here for free for everyone to listen to and be hypercritical of. And then the boring uh, <laughs> uh, daily news podcast uh, will be something that you pay some small pittance for. And then uh, in addition to that, hopefully, other podcasts as well uh, that will be produced within the brainiron.com multinational media empire, yet to be imagined or even conceived of by anyone uh, outside of Are you uh, saying me. people are going to pay to listen to the 11-minute news thing? Yeah, there, there'll be benefits. Who are these people? There'll be benefits to that. I agree. It's a, it's a, it's a big swing, and uh, the the thing about big swings is that they can result in humiliating misses, and that's fine. I'm. I don't fine think it's that humiliating. There are eleven that. minute things that no one listens to. Some people are listening. Yeah. It's uh, it's the case, and also, uh, do you know how relatively few number of people need to subscribe on an ongoing basis for a person to make a perfectly acceptable living? Uh, out of eight billion people on the planet, 10, it's 000. almost none. It's like <laughs> it's like none of eight billion, and I could uh, uh, live a very comfortable Is it life. Ten thousand for me and my ten thousand would be. We would be. Is it? 2000 so far beyond anything that i would ever expect to achieve 
But again, I'm not uh, revealing anything uh, that should surprise anyone. Uh, CIB, Cast Iron Brains, as you've always uh, known and loved it, will continue to be available to you. Uh, this is mostly a way to elbow Abe out from any potential profits. I, I, we also uh, have Venmo. If people want to just Venmo uh, us money, that'd be fine. I would uh, take great exception if uh, there were 11,000 listeners for the 11-minute one and like, a hundred or whatever for this one. <laughs> right. That uh, would be, it would do some damage. I mean, I, we'll, we'll bring you into the fold over there in the expanded universe. We'll, we'll, we'll get you a cut. Don't worry. Uh, but there's more shows to come. The, the idea is to produce uh, uh, more content than I'm currently producing even now. Even now, as I'm producing an additional podcast every single day, there will be even more to come. Uh, good news for everybody out there who wants uh, more, which is a vanishingly small number of people, no doubt. But even a vanishingly small number so of Messina people, Messina and Corey, uh, can unite together and and help folks out in some small way. Uh, the opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Tetramermusic.com. T e t r a m e r music.com for more. From them, Abe, did you make it to the movie theaters this week? I did. Uh, so the, the how, how, Abe? I wanted to go to the movies this week, desperately. So I thought that I would have a nice evening uh, date night with the old lady here. Uh, unfortunately, our kids Calvin puked. Our kids started yakking at like five in the morning, the day that he was supposed to go visit his grandmother, and instead we were stuck with him anyway. So uh, ultimately, we did not have the opportunity to go to the movies. But had we wanted to. Uh, nothing new came out this we week, could, Abe. We, I don't know why Bob only wants to see movies that just came out just now. Because I want he to see the them best, in, the, uh, in, in the Dolby yeah. Atmos Theater. And in our local theater, uh, the, the, the Alamo, which has two massive Dolby Atmos screens and sound systems to go with them. rented them. them. Yeah. They were all rented out Get all out. weekend. Not a not a single film played in either of the on the either of the two big screens all weekend long, in, and that was no doubt in part because nothing new came. Time. So they relegated last week's releases and the week before that's releases company to the smaller screens, and rented out the theaters to big uh, company the Christmas parties. People. Well, is it uh, is it like a chicken or the egg? Like, did uh, Hollywood clear out this weekend because? Charlottesville Rich wanted the weekend. Yes, to that's it. Or was it the other way around? I suspect. I suspect that the Alamo saw a business opportunity, right, and said, "Hey, look, Hollywood's not giving a shit here in the second or third weekend of December. We might as well open it up." They're to always our... happy to open up to rent things. Someone right. just probably yeah, but, but not at eight not, o'clock not on the, a Friday the, night. The the, the the prominent one. Like usually, they'll give you one of the other uh, screens. I I went so you know. There were a few movies I didn't get to see when it first came out, so this was my opportunity to see them. I saw two movies. One was Thanksgiving, the horror movie that was not good, uh, and the other one was Godzilla Minus One, which was really good. Uh, my oh, intention, God. though, was to, on one night only last week, they were going to do a 4K re-release of The Abyss. So I went to the theater. Yeah, we talked about it. Ooh. We talked about it on the show. Right. You're a big James Cameron guy, so I, right? I go to the theater, packed packed house. I get my uh, my soda uh, as I do, and I go in the theater, and I time. You know, I know exactly how long a trailers run. I you know I go to the movies all the time, so I miss the first twenty minutes of nonsense trailers that I've seen many 
times before. I get in there, no trailers are playing. It's just like Uh-oh. an error screen, and people are just kind of milling about. And I'm like, oh, well, what's the what gives? Like, uh, and then the person that was there, they were like, they're running into some sort of technical issue, but they'll get it sorted out. They said five more minutes, ten minutes pass, and then some like some high school kid who works there comes to the front and they said, I don't know what's going on, but the showing is canceled and uh, we'll try to show it again, even though everybody knows this was a one night only kind of thing. There's, there's no other right. showing. This was it. And then like, if you did want the, is this like, like the zoom link didn't work or it something? Was some like, sort I, of, I don't know what, how did ha- they do the 4k thing? If they're not sending out actual physical reels I, of film, uh, maybe everything's digital now. I don't, I don't know, but like whatever, it was that they needed, they did not have, and they didn't know it until the moment of, like, something's going on, we can't do anything about it, so I was like, all right, whatever. I have the AMCA list, I could have gone, the, there was no reason I was say, did you get. raise a stink and say, look, I'm an do A-lister. you know who I am? So, the, so I couldn't get anything. First of all, I was an AMC A-list person, so it didn't matter for me. And second, my soda was my birthday soda. They give you free soda, and they're like, well, we can with a free drink, so... Tough shit. So I got nothing. <laughs> they they couldn't even give you like a, no, a fucking piece of like a a a, a, a token no, for next time no, or no something. No token for the ticket for to watch the movie again, but no token for a birthday drink. So I got nothing out of it, and then I instead well, watched. You got a soda. Yeah. So, so I, I didn't make you throw the true. soda. Did you well, I did because did you, so it was a full cup of soda. What am I gonna do? I just threw it away. <laughs> Drink it! I'm gonna. No. Can no. I ask? Can I ask? You are a grown ass, forty one year old man now. You go and you get a large, presumably soda at the at the movie theater, yeah, like a Coke Zero or something, you know, or maybe like a Powerade. Okay, so but you're getting a Coke Zero at eight o'clock, eight thirty at night, something like yeah, that. Yeah, this was a seven o'clock showing, but yeah, sure. Abe is a champion sleeper. Are I, you I, able to drink a movie theater sized uh, large soda? Uh, full of caffeine and sugar, and then go to sleep? Yes. I mean, I, I can sleep. Abe uh, is the best sleeper yes. Yes. I've ever met in my life. That is not an obstacle. I've no. known some good sleepers. <laughs> I'm friends with two good sleepers. You're pretty good. No one sleeps like Abe. <laughs> yes. It was not never an issue with, uh, with the, the thing. Even I, I watched the Oppenheimer in the middle of the night, and I drank my coke and it was fine i'm pretty confident that if i had a big helping of caffeine after eight o'clock i'd be i'd have trouble sleeping for the next two nights like it would fuck everything up for a while (laughs) so i uh i did go see real quick the movie that wasn't that good the only thing i'll say about thanksgiving so it's a horror movie set in over thanksgiving the the funniest part about the movie was to get the whole ball rolling to like there's some evil guy that's killing people but yeah. The reason for that is they, the Thanksgiving prior, uh, they skip ahead, but the Thanksgiving prior, uh, there was a big Black Friday event, you know, that, you know, we used to have back in the day. It's no longer a big thing anymore because, like, they start these sales so early and you can get them online. So there isn't that big Yeah, because it's the deal. fucking, our bogus future where we're all in, we're all the creatures from uh, Wally and we're all sitting at home all full of fucking Thanksgiving food. Pretty great in, in our future. stretchy pants. It's a pretty is, good, yeah. whatever, <laughs> click, click, click. good future. <laughs> You in the stretchy pants again. So, but in this imagining, they were pretending that we're still in the past. Like it was like uh, uh, Rascal Flatts era. Uh, and uh, apparently the entire town was going to the Walmart. In the, It was like they called it a right mart, but it's Walmart. Was it a particular item or just the, the appeal of the entire store-wide sale? It was like a waffle maker. It was just, you know, the, your typical nonsense, uh, yes. unnecessary stuff. But there... 
literally the entire town came to this one Walmart, and they're like very antsy. They're like, let us in. We need to get those waffle makers, right? And there's a big convergence at the door, and people are like stampeding to get something. They're like fighting each other. And like, anyway, the, the cop's wife, like she dies in the mayhem. Like people are like really into these deals. She dies, and then, like, a year later, that guy, the cop, like, you don't know this until the end. It's a big reveal. But, like, the cop is, like, killing everybody, like, Final Destination style. Like, he looked at the, the CCTV cameras, oh, and, like, you cool. were responsible, and you were responsible, and you were responsible. And then he would, like, kill them in very, like, brutal ways until the very end. He should have instead just delivered an angry speech about it <laughs> on the town square. <laughs> it was a disproportionate to... What ha- it was like an accident. It's not like somebody. Yeah, but that's the thing. When people go crazy, yeah. they do things disproportionate right. to the thing that's bothering that's them. But it wasn't like I killed this woman on purpose. It was like she was just kind of in the way. Like they're trying to get something important, and well, she just got she in the way. Well, she shouldn't have been. Yeah. But anyway, that, that's a whole movie. You, you, you don't need to see it. I don't know why it got such high ratings. Did he? Uh, <laughs> did he like? Did he like make waffles out of the people? With no. The wa- like <laughs> no. as if he's he trying to fulfill their. Their consumerist instincts and the <laughs> the thing that debased them in the first place. No. It, Feed it, them it, all to the actually, to the waffle maker. There was no uh, real connection to the. It's like killing them in different ways, but it wasn't like tied to the personality of the person or whatever. Just killing yeah. them in however way. The other movie was Godzilla minus one. Now this movie people said good things about, and it is a very good movie. The it wasn't made for a lot of money. Like the one funny part is that whenever they show go- actual Godzilla, it looks kind of cartoonish. Like it's just like this big fucking Godzilla. Oh, that is that is in keeping with the history right. of the franchise. <laughs> so totally fine. But the movie itself is like perfect. Actually, you know, I know the 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 Barbenheimer thing was a thing because it was released at the same time. But really, you could pair. Godzilla minus one with Oppenheimer because Oppenheimer is about the the bomb that goes boom and the movie ends and then this picks up right at the end of World War II and <laughs> right. like this kamikaze yeah. guy who uh, chicken out which uh, to be fair I would also chicken out but basically he brings great he's like ashamed like he basically like pretending there was something wrong with his plane. And they, go, oh, they don't. Man, they like, don't. They don't take too kindly to that in that culture. Right. From what so I like understand. he he goes to some island to get his uh, his plane repaired so that he can destroy it for whatever reason but anyway like he's carrying the shame throughout the whole movie and then godzilla shows up and it's basically like a the country is like shocked that they lost and now they're dealing with a weirdo uh sea monster and they tie it all together very well it was a very well done movie um and not for a lot of money. And it's a very good movie. I would recommend that movie, not Thanksgiving. Well, good. It appears to have some decent legs here in the country. Yes. I mean, there's nothing. My boss said no, it was really good. Nothing to replace it in the theaters this week. So it, it made a decent amount I of mean, money. I mean, this is like the musical phase of the year, right? There's that Wonka with your boy, uh, Chalamet, Chalamet, whatever. I don't think is. that's a musical. It is. So it they're, is. they're disguising these movies. Okay, so not technically a musical, maybe, but there's like a good number of musical songs in Wonka. That doesn't, no, that's not a musical. They're, Either it's a musical or it isn't. Right. And that's not. But what constitutes a musical? Songs. Because Lori like wants, in, in, in Lori wants all the talking to be singing for it to be a not musical. Not all of it. I just I, you need original songs that are integrated in the story. It's a musical. It's either a musical so or it is, isn't. So is is the original uh, Char- Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory mm, a that's musical? That's a good question. No, 
because it's close to a musical. It's close, because but it's all of not. the songs advance the plot. It, do, it they do, but it's not quite a musical. Yeah, it's almost a musical, and I almost. my understanding is that the new one is similarly very nearly a musical. Almost musical, but you are the person who said that Wizard of Oz was not a musical because you're wrong about stuff a lot. Wizard of Oz is similar to Wonka. It's not necessarily a musical uh, okay. in the traditional way that we would stage. define it. I've seen it on the stage as a musical. Is the color purple considered a musical? Because that's going to be the, the, no, not the original one. But I think this one the new one. one. Oh, there's is a, a oh musical. no, I don't know. Yeah, and the, anyway, yeah, but yeah, I, I think uh, that that yeah, Godzilla minus one should have some legs going forward. But yeah. also not a musical. Um, we we had, watched two movies because there was no football. There's well, no f- there was a little football. Yeah. By the no way, real a lot of uh, mediocrity in the NFL this year. I was watching a lot of football. Well, on we Sunday. watched well the Army Navy. We watched okay. Ar- I watched Army Navy. Yeah, NFL wasn't. We watched a little bit of that Chiefs. Uh, we the, watched the bulk of the end of the Chiefs and uh, who the hell did they play? Um, the, the Bills. What a whining Bills. Bills. Uh, Mahomes. Uh, what a, uh, he needs to compose himself going forward. So like, it's funny because last week I talked about how they never call the lined up in the neutral zone yeah. thing. And then the biggest play of the week <laughs> is a lined up in the neutral that zone. That was flagrant, which, though. Uh, I, I've complained about it from the defensive perspective because usually like you see it a thousand times in the NFL. If an offensive player is misaligned, he checks with the ref. Right. And then he backs off of the line of scrimmage, and that's not considered uh, a foul. They very rarely will call that right. a foul. It's, it's a check with me, fix yourself, and then you're good right. to go. Um, my complaint has been about the the defensive linemen who line up in the neutral zone. And I think if you watch closely, you'll see uh, five, six, seven times a game – Obvious instances of defensive linemen lined up over the ball or in line with the ball where they're not supposed to be. It's just not, right. it's just not do, within the rules. Do they? Uh, not, do, by the way, yeah. uh, the the most exciting football play that I've seen in in months, a, right? May, unnecessary play, right? I mean, they, they just needed a field goal to tie, and he he like Kelsey. I mean, if he got tipped, it's, it's a live ball, right? Like it's like that was like a perfectly executed. It was great. So, yeah, it's a long throw down the middle. Kelsey makes the reception from Mahomes, and then you're like, oh, wow, he could he could score. Like, there's only, like, two dudes in front of him. Right. He's the great big motherfucker of a dude. Right. So you're like, ah, he could score and, and just do it here. And then he turns and throws a lateral to Kadarius Tony, yeah. And it's like, holy shit. And, I like, I, I stood up. Yeah, I, like, yelled did. at the television and stood up. He didn't stand up, but he was excited. Uh, I was very excited. And then there's a flag on the play. And it's because Tony was lined up in the neutral zone uh, way back at the very beginning. And, yeah, I understand why Mahomes was upset, but he does come across as, like... Not likable. Not likable in that moment when he's freaking out and then still continuing it on into the press conference and then also the next day. What was he uh, complaining talking about? about? Also, what was he complaining about? The he complaint was offside. We don't want the refs deciding yeah, things, he... and that's not a call that you can make in the heat of the moment and let they us did. figure it out on the field. Right. So, yeah, he broke he, the rule. He, he probably bro. takes it as a ticky tacky call. Like, it's like it didn't have an effect no. of. But it's still, you, I mean, he what are you going to do? Like, start. The referees give you the option to check with them. And at no point did he check with them. Like he was like right. looking towards the other way. He's looking back at the ball, which Whatever. is a, a bad sign. Do you know why? Because Tony's a bit of a dummy. Yeah, yeah. That's he's, just uh, he, <laughs> just how it is. He was caught up in the moment, you know. Like he was so excited for this play. 
Yeah, that was an awesome play. And what a goddamn shame that it didn't count, but it obviously shouldn't have counted. Uh, well, we watched two movies. What was the movie? Family Switch. Oh, good Lord. What's, uh, it was what's a that? bad movie. Who's in that? It's about uh, Jennifer Garner and Ed Helms. And Ed Helms, the, Ed the Helms. annoying guy from The Office. Oh, yeah, from The Daily and, Show, too. Right? Uh, some teens. And some other comics that are just having cameos. So this is a this is a movie in the mold of like the direct mold of Freaky Friday or okay. which it's like Bob a missed. Thing? There is a scene the parent where switch they, thing yeah yeah it's a body swap thing. There is a scene in the movie that Bob was in the shower during where like they fully acknowledge. We are ripping off all these movies. Like they, they. I'm fine with that. Like it's fine. This is a, it's a trope. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a genre thing. Like uh, practically its own thing where we have body switching happening. My objection is that they said we're gonna do a version of Freaky Friday, but instead of just being mom and daughter, we're gonna do the whole family and then also the toddler and the dog. And so, like, it's gonna be a whole family thing uh, where they switch family switch and then they stopped they said that's the title they said family switch is the title of this goddamn movie and that's the extent to which anything was written uh moving forward that that is how much effort the amount of effort that they put into naming the movie is the amount of effort that they put into uh, writing the rest of the movie it makes me sad that writing happens in the world (laughs) like there was a there's a thing that i posted on facebook a few years ago uh it was a summary of uh, the coen brothers classic no country for old men and it was it was like cuz netflix has to do their own like back of the box plot summaries but they can only be like a sentence long cuz there's only so much room up there on the screen and it was like something it said something like the man with the weird haircut is going to determine your fate with the flip of a coin and and i screenshotted that and simply said no one should ever write anything <laughs> like it it makes me feel bad that humans have the capacity to do art sometimes when I witness other people writing. And there are like a dozen moments in this godforsaken pile of shit movie where I was embarrassed on behalf of everyone who's ever put pen to paper or tip-tap-tapped their way across a blank page on the screen. It was a fucking awful By the way, Bob, Bob. Another problem with it yeah. was that it was a it was sort of based around Christmas to be released as a Christmas movie. This is not a fucking Christmas movie. There's no, Mm-mm. it's not set around Christmas. Not, it is set around it's Christmas. Not the a whole fucking thing Christmas movie. is centered around they have to do this thing. It happens by, to be Christmas. It happens to That's be it. Christmas. It's like it's a wonderful life, not a Christmas movie. It yeah. just happens to be Christmas. It doesn't fucking count as a Christmas movie. The story is also Jennifer Garner. I don't know if uh, she's been uh, taking too many Capital One uh, ad tutorials or something. Yeah. Not a great actress, Jennifer she was Garner. Never a great actress. She was good. Yeah, at but alias. so then why is she working again? She's doing fine in this as a pitchman for the the awful credit card companies. They stick with that. Don't don't come back. Although to our I mean, w- would this screens. movie have worked better if 
like a better actor was in it. And uh, by the way, did you, you, no, Lori, no, you said that Bob was no. taking a shower halfway through this movie. You, you didn't give the credit. No, in the beginning, he uh, took at a the shower beginning. in the I beginning. Didn't, I didn't insist that I be present for the, for the first the 15 minutes. The children wanted to watch right. it and the children right. enjoyed we did, it. We didn't sit down on Friday <laughs> after we put the kids to bed and then turned on family <laughs> switch. No, the kids wanted to watch it. They, and they enjoyed it. So last they time, last time they get to choose fucking anything. Uh, you, I, it's because you wouldn't. I have never chosen something for them that they didn't fucking love, and yet they continue to choose things for me that I fucking hate. <laughs> that fucking <laughs> they're pieces of shit. They don't care about me, obviously. Uh, all right, this is we all, how they feel when they watch uh, Meet the Press every week. Yeah, it's very late. It's getting very late. You talk too much about bullshit as usual. Oh, man, it is getting late. How about it? We also watched uh, uh, the number one movie on Netflix this week. Leave the World Behind is the name of the movie. It Was stars Julia Roberts yeah. and uh, Mahershala Ali, among others, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Uh, is the third name there. Everyone looks like shit. Uh, disagree, actually. Uh, Ethan Hawke looks like uh, Ethan Hawke ought to look as a man of some means, but without having gone crazy overboard on trying to maintain a youthful Julia visage. Julia Roberts looks old. And Julia Roberts, similarly, looks great for a woman who is her age and has not similarly spent a great deal of uh, time and money on unnecessary upkeep of her situation. You know who looks uh, great? The 22-year-old. <laughs> is this uh, like a alien invasion thing? No. No, and uh, I don't want to give away the finer points of the plot, uh, but uh, suffice it to say that it seems to be some sort of a uh, terrorist attack going on. And Alien terrorist or human terrorist? Uh, human. Human terrorists. Uh, this is a, it is not supernatural it's in not origin. Sci-fi. Uh, uh-huh. Though at times it feels as though it's leaning in the direction of like the happening. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it does feel like the happening. At times, is he acting like the happening. Or the, yes, the performances oh, wow. are the performances are better than uh, the M Night Shyamalan it's classic. It's a weird movie. The happening. It feels actually probably more like um, the Jennifer Lawrence one from the pandemic. Look up! Don't look up! Don't look up! Okay. I don't know. I don't see that. I, it's just a weird movie. It is a little bit it's weird. It's very bare bones. It's sm- a series, small cast, small set. It's a series of vignettes that don't add up to anything more like there's no the sum is greater than the than the parts situation here like i got nothing more out of this movie besides a relative sense of disappointment than i got out of watching the trailer like it's it's a series of scenes that taken on their own seem like they point towards a much more interesting movie than the movie actually ends up being uh, so I found myself quite disappointed with it. I mean, the thesis at the end, it uh, solid ending with the thesis at the end. Okay. Re- re- very much redeemed the movie for itself. Laurie, Laurie says that uh, the thesis is that you should invest in physical media. And, and then an interview with the director confirmed what I said. So, Right. And I, I think... To some extent, I actually think that that might be the message of the movie because the movie doesn't fully understand what it is it's it is trying the message to of the do movie. or It is say. 100% the message of the movie. Right, and I think a lot of times artists 
and and people who who make things aren't aware of the implications of the thing that they're doing and what it says about them uh, uh, rather than what it is they're actually trying to say. And so I am uh, I'm a bit harsher on what the movie is trying to say than what the movie thinks it is uh, trying to say, which is mostly like I just don't I don't get it. Like the 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 main character, the woman is a is an awful misanthrope. And then her antagonist in the movie is also an awful misanthrope, except she's younger and uh, more darkly complected. And so we have decided that she is the one that we should be siding with. But they're oh, just not necessarily. They're just two awful misanthropes. No, no, you know that the who the movie wants you to side with is the one that it gives authorial vision to. It's the, the movie one wants that wants me to side with the people who bought all the DVDs. It wants you to side with the person who sees everything as it is. This is a mistake that writers often make where they betray their point of view by giving one character too much insight into the goings-on relative to all the other characters, that's the person that we're expected to recognize is being right. Uh, and and that's what this movie does. It's fine. Like, it's a perfectly entertaining it's couple fine. of hours, I guess. Uh, two and a half of them, though. Two and a half hours. But again, like, in pieces, it almost sort of wants to work. And then as a larger piece, it it's not clear to me what it is it's actually accomplishing. Uh, so I, I, I'm ultimately disappointed with it. Um, but that's fine. It's fine to be disappointed with things. Me, of all people, uh, yeah. often what are you not disappointed, uh, disappointed with? with things. So that's fine, too. Uh, and uh, Julia Roberts uh, is is fine. Uh, and Ethan Hawke is good. And Mahershala Ali is always uh, uh, very good as well. Abe, have you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. And we'll talk to you next time. Later. Okay, uh, real quick. Did we not have this conversation before where I was surprised that the Alabama-Michigan game was the Sugar Bowl, not the Rose Bowl? Now it's saying yes. that... Yeah. But now it's saying that the Alabama-Michigan game is the Rose Bowl. What? On ESPN. No, it is. Yes, Al, you were saying... I thought, I was like, why Alabama, would Michigan, Michigan go down is... to New Orleans to play in the Sugar Bowl? But now it's showing that it is indeed the Rose Bowl. How can that be? I looked it up. No, we. I was looking it up too, and I was like surprised. And now they just kind of cleaned it up without saying anything. Because like the number one team gets dibs, and I was like, why would Michigan not want to do the Road Bowl? Because they're that's a Big Ten, Pac-12 kind of traditional thing. So they must have cleaned it up after the fact. I swear to God, I looked it up no, when we were I, having the conversation. Hundred percent, you're right. They switched it up without saying anything. Is this uh, fucking Nelson Mandela situation here? The <laughs> that is weird. yeah. I I I just oh look at this. I click on NCAA.com something something something, and look who it is. Just oh, on the look front at that. Look at him <laughs> doing just fine, fucking Bob. But this now makes more it sense. It says Michigan Alabama Rose Bowl. Yeah. Texas, I swear to God that the Google returns on this a week or two ago were the opposite. Yes, I, I hopefully I took a screen capture uh, picture, but yeah, that is a hundred percent true. They switched it because my understanding was the first team gets dibs. And I'm having Mandela problems too because what I remember is being grateful that the game that I'm more interested in is the earlier game, which which is the Rose Bowl. 
Yeah, this is. We were all just well. in shock. I yeah, think the, we the were better... all just in shock. Yeah. There was a lot of drama. That's bizarre. We have to issue a correction. Yeah. We were very adamant on the show about also, like what was happening. What's yeah. wrong with your audience to not say something about it? They probably got interns on this. I'm set telling now. you, we got fucking we got Thanos or something. Somebody <laughs> changed something in the goddamn timeline. We're in a parallel universe. When's our game? Who can say? <laughs> Has extensive show notes that I never get to see right. or find out what was in them or what he wanted to talk about. I should because I, I, I'm I'll, such I'll, I'll a domineering over. asshole. You, you are that I just talk for 90 You're straight the worst. minutes. And Abe, Abe, who brings like a 700 words to the table every you week, should uh, shut up once in a while. Gets nothing in, and you just can't. You're like, I'm, instead in. of shutting up, I'm going to make more podcasts where no one else is involved. And I'm just going to talk. The proceeding was created with 100% human content.